Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. That's good. Try and stay awake now. Get ready to fire the traffic too. What? What did you say? I'm pregnant. I'm five. I'm almost six months. She she's pregnant. That's it, Emily. Good job. She's crowning. She's crowning. Dilated, ready to go. Okay for now. He's just real early. Can I hold him? I'm sorry, sweetheart. He's just too little. We have to take him away now. But name, name John. Please. His name is John. This one goes out to anybody who's been told you can't be the prom king. You can't be the quarterback. You can't be the superhero. Well, you can be a Bruce Springsteen parody artist. He was born three months early to a teenage mom named Emily. Now he's got Ben and Hurley. Hoping or his good speed leads the way. He gets stuffed in the lockers. Alfred's pissed when he picked the knife. Hit a Johnny. Take a look back at your life. Season four's almost over. Moving the island will cause quite a shock. But now we're talking with Christian. Going off to a cabin with Chama. <laughs> Lost is over. But we gotta go back down the hatch. It's Lost Rewatch Podcast here on Post Show Recaps talking season four, episode eleven, Cabin Fever. And you know, we at this point we know the penultimate episode, we do the we do the parody. Uh and even knowing it, I was just what a what a what a pleasure to listen to, Mike Bloom. Oh my god. Thank you. That makes me very happy. You're, I, you are was, the boss, Mike. I really do think so. I think we we can co own that position, I think. Uh, we, we are the leader yeah. in that perspective. Yeah, this was much like uh Charlie Pace is going to drown, of course, your magnum opus from season three. Mm. This was very much a shower thought for me. I, love it. I was thinking like I was thinking about either Cabin with John Locke or Cabin with Jacob no, dancing cabin, in the dark. Cabin with John Locke is great. Also because it's not technically Jacob in the cabin. But we'll no, get to that. yeah, it's not, right? It's not. It's the monster. The monster's doing monster things. Monster be monstering uh, in this episode, in this look back at John Locke's life. Uh, the I guess the penultimate John Locke flashback, right? Because Bear- Jeremy Bentham, I was going to say Jeremy Baramy, 
I uh, was going to say, I know that the good place is just like ruined the name Jeremy. That and Survivor David versus well, Goliath has just ruined the name Jeremy. I think like a a Jeremy that then has a B, like I just go to Jeremy Bearmy. So Jeremy Bentham is getting me there uh, for sure. Um, but like Jeremy Bentham is going to be the other flashback. And then we've got like flash sideways stuff. You know, we got, right. uh, you know, but this is basically like this is John Locke's life. Right. That's yeah. what we're getting this week. Getting some cabin fever. I think a poorly named episode. Mm, yeah, I mean, I think you'd have to cute. talk me into it. It's it's a cute name, I think, and it's a bit too cute by half, perhaps. Uh, considering, I think the very sober nature of this episode in many ways. Uh, maybe the beginning of the end would almost apply to this episode as well. Yeah, I mean, I guess like there's the cabin fever of like John Locke waiting inside his own life, right, for it to like pop open. For his life to blow up, for him to like get outside of the proverbial house that he feels locked inside of, to seize the day, uh, to carpe the DM. You could also argue that maybe, you know, they talked about cabin fever literally on the Kahana in a previous episode, and that is, I don't know, it's not necessarily manifesting. I don't think Kimi is going complete psychopath because of cabin fever. Oh, it's a part of it, right? It's probably like exacerbating his nonsense. Yeah, things are definitely boiling over. Maybe boiling point would be an interesting name. No, you know, the more that I think about, the more I think maybe it does fit to some extent. Like, Locke's been locked up. He's been wanting to burst free. This is a moment, right? Like, this is the episode where he's going to be able to have, like, the sit down with the island. Yeah. He's going to be able to face, you know, like he's going to be able to have a conversation with the island as far as he's concerned. Mm-hmm. As far as John is concerned. It's a very tragic episode, you know. Yeah, and, th- and that's sort of the, I neglect to say, fun part of the episode, yeah. but something I've always really loved about Cabin Fever is how truly tragic it is in the retrospect of what we're going to see happen to John Locke. This is a man who has a propensity to be tricked, this is going to be the case here, and it's going to ultimately end his life as well, that it unfortunately is yet another chapter in this very sad book, that even when Locke thinks he is motivated to do the right thing, it is still with malicious intent, Yeah, almost. I mean, we'll talk about it. I I, I would wonder if this episode, perhaps the Jacob and the Man in Black sort of uh, put down their swords for a second and say, let's work together for this common cause, but either way, there is still manipulation going on that Locke is essentially tricked into uh, tricked by someone he he thinks is not that person. Yeah, into doing something. yeah. I mean, look, it is you know this is whether you want to call him a sucker or he's somebody who is just like wanting like he wants to believe to borrow a phrase from another podcast that you are involved with, Mike. Um, that like he's just ready. Um, or it's just like expert punking on the monster's part. But there is, as the great Ben behind the curtain likes to say, some timey-wimey stuff happening in this episode, too, where, like, I think Cabin Fever hits a little bit differently when it is um, taken in the perspective of um, of season five and, like, knowing, like, some of the time travel stuff of, like, you know, like going into this episode, like to track Richard Alpert, right? Like Richard Alpert yes. is going to show up on the island or he's going to show up off the island, rather, at the hospital to be outside the room. He's going to see John Locke getting born. And that's because John Locke at this point has already traveled back through time as an adult, mm-hmm. has visited Richard and say, if you don't believe me, I'm going to be born this day. You should come say hi. 
And so that's why Richard goes. He goes because Locke told him to. And all of this happens because John Locke traveled back in time and told him to and gave him the compass, which is this paradox thing that the monster has launched into action because you assume, I don't know about the paradox piece of it, but that like that's the paradox piece of it is like the argument in favor of the destiny qualities of the show, right? Like this is all this was always meant to happen because there's no other explanation. It literally just is always going to happen. It's always supposed to happen. This compass comes from nowhere. It has to happen because it happens. Um, and so like the monster's plan for Locke, therefore always happens. Um, and the Richard Alpert getting like convinced to like send him back by the monster, like, all of this episode ties really deeply into season five, which I have talked about as a season that I really adore. I'm really excited to get there. I think it's really tightly plotted. It's a really compelling thriller. So why do I think this episode's like really good, but not like exceptional? I don't know. We'll talk about it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big question. I mean, something that I really love about the flashbacks in particular, which I know before we were getting on here, you said that I think the major sticking point for you in this episode is the retrospective hall of doors that is John Locke's life. But I enjoy them immensely and they work so well for me as the final, like John Locke proper flashback because it serves as this constant reminder to me of, like you said, John Locke purports herself as a man of destiny, right? Even outside of the island, he's saying like, this is my, my fate. This is what I meant to do. I'm going to go on this walkabout. But what we find out is that John Locke is going to make deliberate choices, right. whether he realizes them or not. Right. So it's it's an, it's an idea of, like, even if he thinks this is something that the invisible hand is guiding him to do, he's the one that's actually making the decision. He is going to outright refuse an opportunity from Richard Alpert twice. To your point, he is basically going to inform and tell Alpert to go visit him multiple times. Right. So even when you think it's a happenstance, oh, this guy thinks I'm special and he's dropping in on me. No, it's because adult you traveled back in time, told this guy about you, and that's why he's here. And it really just hammers home this idea that we even heard back from Hurley and Trisha Tanaka of, like, make your own luck from that perspective, that you can bemoan the ham that people have dealt you. Ben Did you see the ham? Thing. Like the honey, honey baked ham? Oh, yeah, exactly. You can bemoan I mean, the ham that they made for you. I mean, we can bemoan it because I think uh, we do owe your wife a honey baked yeah, ham I know. Like, after the fact. So she's very much bemoaning it. But I think, you know, you can say destiny is a fickle bitch. But at the same time, you also have to say, I made these choices to get to this place. You cannot really shunt off the blame onto the powers that be. And I do think the deliberation that exists in choices throughout Locke's life serves as a really stark reminder in this point in time when on the island he feels the complete opposite that he has to be guided by these invisible forces it's really hammering home the fact that this guy is going down the wrong path and will ultimately do so that leads to his his death mm, next season that's really interesting um do you ever watch the show uh devs I watched the first few episodes, but for some reason or another, I think I think I dropped off the map on devs. That is, I believe, the Nick Offerman, Allison Pill, super quirky, dark sci-fi series on Hulu, correct? Yes. And so, like, uh, I would I would strongly recommend, like, I would I would 
quirky is a word. It's really creepy. It's very unusual. Uh, it has this surreality to it. It's, you know, got a sci-fi concept underneath it that's, you know, backed by some degree of, like, philosophy and technology. It's a really, I think, an exceptional show, and it's a limited se- uh, series, so it's, I think, maybe seven or eight episodes. Yeah, I believe so. Um, Nick Offerman is, you know, borderline unrecognizable. He's playing a very different type of character than you're used to seeing him. If you know him mostly for comedy, um, it's a, it's a very, uh, it's a very affecting experience. It's, it's lean in television. Um, and it, it, it I, I don't want to, I'm not going to spoil it, but the question about the show is about uh, a lot of what Lost deals with in sort of like the um, do you make your own luck or is are you like destined to do things like what level of agency do you actually have how much of your life is predetermined um, and there's this idea in devs about like tram lines effectively it's like sort of like the shorthand for how they talk about it that like we're on tram lines we are we are all on this deterministic path where we actually don't have any decisions at our disposal. Everything is 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 laid out for us is sort of the question that it's arguing uh, or the, one of the points that it's arguing is like we exist on a continuum where you can't really step off the path. You're on the path because you doing this means that happens and that has to happen and this has to happen and everything's feeding into each other like that snake that eats its own tail. The, the Ouroboros. The Ouroboros. Um, and I actually interviewed the director of, of devs a year ago. And this conversation we're having right now reminds me uh, of some of what he is, ta- is talking about with the show and some of what he had talked to me about. Um, uh, that he, he kind of feels like this idea that like you are, uh, you are destined to do things to some degree that like you don't have uh, free will maybe as much as you think you do uh, is actually like it's it's it, it can open up an argument for empathy to some extent mm. uh, that like well this poor this poor sucker's circumstances beyond their control they weren't they didn't have a vote they didn't have a say that was how their life was always going to be the show gets into like debating whether or not that is like the official actual factual point of the ethos of the show uh and i'm not saying that that's necessarily where i am at (laughs) either but i I wanted to like frame like tee up that argument because i think like that intersects interestingly with john locke as a character in his story that there is this degree to which um the snake is eating its own tail uh in the compass aspect of it the fact that richard albert's going to go back the fact that the island is going to be calling to him the fact that forces involved with the island i.e charles widmore matthew abaddon via charles widmore is going to incept the walkabout in his head because they know that he gets there eventually and so like everybody's just like trying to get him there because they know he will be there because they've seen him in the 1950s they know that he shows up how does he get there so everybody's trying to compete for being the like the 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 bug in the ear uh the last person to whisper to john Locke before he goes on that walk exactly uh and so like when you when you look at it that way and like you know that john Locke goes to the island because he goes to the island right like john Locke goes to the island because he always goes to the island um makes his story and the story that's being articulated here in this episode really effing sad really extremely sad and it's like this idea of like can there still be power in tragedy can there still be like in um can can there still be power and 
agency or I don't know, triumph, um, worthiness, value, whatever words you want to assign to it. Can those things still exist in the face of like a cosmic joke? Which I think at, mm. at his lowest is what John Locke would look at this whole thing as. Um, and I think like the John Locke that you see on the other side of death, when you see him wake up in the sideways and stuff, and he gets the full scope of what people have kind of like either done in his name or did while after he was gone, if, in, if it was in any way influenced by his actions, he's once again sort of like the mystic man who could smile with an orange peel in his mouth about the whole thing. Right. And now he's in on the cosmic joke. Um, I think a lot of that stuff is in play with the John Locke arc, which is like when I'm high on Locke, that's the stuff that I really love about him. I know this is funny because it's like two weeks out from me being like, I'm, I'm lo- he's losing me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like I, yeah, it was two weeks. I was trying to think it might have been as yeah. soon as last week, but I, I forgot that we, we we, we yeah. took a Yadis from cabin from all the cabin stuff last week. Yeah, yeah I, I know that. I mean, it's it's interesting because I would say up until this point, I, I would you know I said the same thing about Jack last week, but we got more doses of Locke, especially when they were in Dharmaville in the first half of the season. But he hasn't really appeared much of note, especially in comparison to some of these other characters that have gotten much more focused, Ben especially, if we're talking about, like, the eternal competition between these two men. It definitely has felt more like Ben's season than Locke's season. But now we get this opportunity, just like we did with Jack last week, to focus in on Locke, both his time on the island, and now, to your point, whether or not you can argue that, you know, the life that he's lived up to this point has been one of choices he's deliberately made or the cosmos constantly kicking him down to satiate, not forming a paradox and tearing the the world apart. But I think it's a beautiful display in how rough this character can be. I'll be completely candid. I don't think I've ever said this on the podcast. I can't remember. The first time that I did watch Lost, I could not stand John Locke. Yeah. Uh, really, just because, again, you know, at the time, this was the first drama that I'd ever seen. I was not happy with the fact that, like, Locke was so arrogant that he was making mistakes. But the older that I've got, the more I like to think mature I become only slightly. I, I've realized that to your point about empathy, I think there is similarly empathy in seeing people who are able to make decisions but make the wrong choice. Because that to me, I think, is more relatable than oh, someone getting getting screwed over. Maybe sympathetic, I guess, more like more than empathetic. Uh, in that perspective. But another reason is, I mean, to be candid, I, I see how the world is kind of full of people who are bullheaded and stubborn and arrogant, but they have the best intentions. Uh, and so seeing that personality type proliferate the world that we live in today with all the best, you know, intentions in mind, yet still doing harm that has allowed me to see the character in such a different light. And it's one of those things where each and every time I visit it, I almost like revisit that piece of humanity. And it makes me not necessarily like the character, but respect the idea of the character more. And that's the other case here in this episode where, like you said, it is a little pitiful that even once again, when he thinks he has finally found his destiny after a life of unfulfillment, it turns out it's still for a different purpose or from a different messenger than he could imagine it's it's still you know that that is something that is could be relatable to somebody who is is looking for a purpose and 
might find the right message from the wrong person. Uh, can I, I just pulled this up. I pulled up my Alex Garland interview. I just think that there's like an interesting, he has like some interesting articulation about Alex Garland. He's like the director of the beach. He directed ex machina. Uh, mm-hmm. he directed annihilation. Like he's an incredible filmmaker and he's the person who did the show devs, which is about this conversation between free will versus determinism. I think it's like interesting to apply to the idea of John Locke. Uh, yeah. so I'll, I'll just read, I'll, I'll read a little bit of it. And even in his quote, it, it gets, it drifts to a point where he's like, I'm talking too much. Uh, <laughs> so like he like kind of like, uh, cuts himself off at a certain point. Um, so we'll see if it like ends in any kind of way, but I'm just remembering this was literally a year ago, uh, when I had this conversation a year as of this recording, maybe like a little bit, um, Happy anniversary, Josh Wiggler, Alex Garland interview. Well, I remember talking to him because it was right at, in like the onset of COVID and stuff. And so it was like a very charged, powerful conversation. Uh, and so he was talking like for me, I was like, you know, I'm sober, but it had like sort of like that galaxy brain stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. Like it was it was a really compelling conversation. Um, so this is what he had said. He said, um, this isn't just a sort of airy philosophical concept. If it's true, then one has to look at the world in quite a different way and it would actually change the way we live. The example I tend to to suggest when thinking about these things, for example, is to do with the way that we deal with crime and punishment, which centrally has at its heart an idea of free will because we're being punished when we commit a crime for having done something wrong and having decided to do something wrong. If you have a 16-year-old kid who sticks someone up with a knife, if you end the narrative at that point, then you say the 16-year-old did something dangerous, did something wrong. Now we're going to punish them for having done something wrong or we're going to put them in prison. That's all a natural sequence of events and a sequence of thoughts. If, however, you say no, this young person may not have had free will because, for example, maybe both their parents were drug addicts and they were addicted by the time they were 12 and they grew up in a very ethically impoverished background and also maybe a financially impoverished background. Suddenly, the behavior of the 16-year-old is much grayer in terms of the decisions that they've made. And you might quickly start to feel, actually, they didn't make many decisions at all. And under those circumstances, you'd be much better off rehabilitating the 16-year-old rather than punishing them. To me, that's a very reasonable argument and certainly reasonable enough to deserve debate. Um, So that's Alex Garland. Mm. I think that maps really interestingly onto the John Locke story. Um, How much choice did he really have? Don't tell me what I can and can't do. Um, but like he, he's so desperate to have choice, right? He's so desperate to choose his destiny. What if his destiny is chosen for him? What if this is the thing that he's locked into? He is locked on this collision course with just getting suckered by the monster and choked out by Ben Linus. And all of this, you are special stuff is really just a ruse, uh, a foul, what is the, a Pharisee, right? A Pharisee, you yeah, know, exactly. a man behind the curtain. Um, like, but can you, can you, is there still gray there? Is that black and white? I don't know. I just think it's really interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's, a really, it's a really interesting idea because, again, it, it brings up this idea of if everything is, is put in front of us, how much free will do you have and how psychologically does that, you know, have ramifications on you? And it's clear that despite John Locke feeling like he is on that tram car rack, like you're saying, he's still making decisions he believes are helping on that path. So it's almost like it's like a, a wide canal, like mm-hmm. they're drag racing in Greece. And it's like, okay, you can swerve around obstacles in your Fast path. Fast and furious you, Athenian drift. Exactly. But you don't have the power to drive over the side of that canal. You're still, you're still set on this path. 
you can make things easier or harder for yourself, much like we sort of talked about with the time travel stuff almost with Desmond, right? Which is another really interesting idea from Flashes Before right. Your Eyes of fate versus free will. Of Maybe in the micro, you can make certain decisions that change very small events, but the results are always going to be the same. It, it's much less sci-fi and much more philosophical, though that coin is quite two-headed. Yeah, I think that they're, you know, they're operating under similar principles and in a similar... Um, they're, they're speaking... I don't know if they're speaking the same language, but they're 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 driving towards similar places. Yeah, they're like uh, Spanish and Portuguese, right? You know, they're like close enough. Yeah, one is a one is a motorcycle, one is a speedboat. I don't know. They're both going to the same place. <laughs> you know, I like this. Like it's like a rat race. <laughs> it's a race. They're all racing. The, they're all racing the same <laughs> it's a race. Oh my god! Down the hatch, ladies and germs. Uh, this is great. Uh, okay, before we dig into the episode, twenty odd minutes in, uh, <laughs> let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode of Down the Hatch. Our friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure, you do, and I bet it can be hard work. You know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. Mike Bloom, we go forth into the jungle. Cabin Fever, directed by Paul Edwards, written by Elizabeth Sarnoff and Kyle Pennington. It aired May 8th, 2008. It centers on John Locke, unlucky number eight. Yeah. Eighth uh, flashback. Exactly. An eighth, I would say, again, proper flashback. Like you said, we sort of get a meet Kevin Johnson off island within the timeline of Lost uh, flashback. This is the last time we will see John Locke pre 2004, except for the time that he travels back in time. (laughs) Exactly. Um, All right. And so, you know, we begin with a lot of what we've already listened to uh, before the song, of course. Uh, it's Emily Locke. So we never see Swoosie Kurtz again, but we do see Emily Locke this one last time. Uh, yeah, and so, uh, she is, you know, talking with her disapproving mother. We do, I think this is when we officially find out, right, that, that John Locke's mother's name is Emily, which is also the name of Ben Linus's Emily. You know, Josh, in, 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 a, save in an alternate Martha, universe. Save Martha, Emily. Say, there's, a, there's, an, there's an alternate <laughs> universe, right, where, where Locke and Ben are fighting each other and Jeremy Bentham, he's like, just tell Emily I love her. And Ben's like, why did you say that name? Yeah. And then, you know, uh, Ben takes off his kryptonite armor and decides to help John Locke. And they work together to stop, I guess, what is is Charles Woodmore played by Jesse Eisenberg? I mean, in it's this essentially version? what he does, right? You know, like, uh, spoilers for the Zack Snyder Justice League DCEU uh, are incoming. Uh, so apologies if you've been meaning to watch the four-hour Snyder cut. Uh, but I am going to spoil some stuff from this thing that the major beats of which have been uh, popular knowledge and at least available since 2017 uh, is that Batman v Superman, Batman wins. Superman gets beat. Superman mm-hmm. and Batman then team up and Superman dies. And Batman feels real bad about it. He's like, damn it. Oh, I screwed that one up. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have pushed it that far. And so he builds the Justice League. In like kind of not necessarily in tribute, but maybe inspired by like the need to like rally superheroes together and stuff because like there's danger coming. Uh, and like it's kind of like he's like carrying a torch for Superman. Difference here is that like he then does go alongside the rest of the Justice League to like actively actually resurrect Superman. Uh, and mm-hmm. that doesn't really happen for John Locke. <laughs> Imagine they wash up on after a Jira and Locke <laughs> now has a mustache that they CGI <laughs> off. That they had. Listen, Terry O'Quinn rocks a mean mustache when he wants to. 
shout out to Special Agent Kendall on Alias. Um, but he, uh, you know, Ben Linus basically does this. Uh, and, and, you know, and Jack is kind of the Batman, too. Like, basically, everybody's Batman and Locke is Superman. <laughs> everyone lost, colon, everyone is Batman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, we're merging with everything is super now because Kevin yeah, and exactly. I have, have promised that everything is batty. I mean... Well, we're we're gonna get to this uh, guy later on. I would say Kevin Durant would actually make a pretty good Batman. Uh, I think he's he's got a good huh. gravelly voice for it. He, yeah, he's so evil to me though that I feel like he would have to be some sort of like Gotham hack. Yeah, well, I think they could sort of do what they did with like Cap becoming a, a Hydra agent when he was resurrected Maybe. by the Cosmic Cube of like Batman's evil now. Yeah, Batman like, does idiot. have a kid in the comics, uh, Damian Wayne, who grows up to be a Batman of some sort of like dark future. Uh, Riley's freaking out right now. Uh, that like I think Kevin Durant could be great at in that future. All right, I think I think we could I think we can make that casting happen, uh. but. We find out, you know, it's very clear exactly what's going on once Emily starts talking about him. Of course, the ghost of Anthony Cooper looms large here. I also do wonder, uh, you know, this is an episode that does feature Doug Hutchison as Horace Goodspeed. Uh, I don't know if it's coincidental or fate that there's a scene where someone's like, I'm going to date someone twice my age, mom. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, not to get like too deep in the weeds, but like the dude who plays Horace Goodspeed, who you've encountered on X-Files at this point, right? And he's like, the, yeah, he, he, yeah. I mean, one of my first episodes, yeah. he was uh, Edmund who played Squeeze, the weird guy that like could, could squeeze like himself. Crazy, creepy monster. You should have known. Uh, does not seem like a good guy has done some weird things if not outright bad things you could go down the rabbit hole if you'd like uh automatic lvp point for horse good speed for me this week by the way yeah, um but uh but what i do actually one thing that i one of the many things i really appreciate about this episode is that we do not this is uh the except for the the final flashback scene anthony cooper is not really in Locke's life really and even when he does exist in his life he almost exists as a ghost mm-hmm. and i really like the show's effort to not take the temptation to bring him back. You know, I, I like the fact that until season six, this guy is off our screens. We killed him off in the brig in epic fashion. I'm glad they didn't necessarily, you know, take that carrot to say, okay, if we're doing sort of like one more round the block life, on, life look back on John Locke, let's bring back Anthony Cooper one more time. Instead, his presence is very much felt from the beginning, considering that, like, this is a very stark reminder when we see the birth of John Locke, that this is from a guy who essentially calmed and bedded this teenager and ran away with her holding the bag. Bad man. Not yes, Batman. Not, <laughs> no, this this would definitely be like one of the, the like the Falcone thugs. Yeah. And one of the many Batman on Lost Bad guy. Uh, so, yeah. So here's John Locke, baby John Locke. He's too small to hold. Very sad. Name him John. Um, and, I, and I believe because we're gonna when we get into the next <laughs> flashback scene, I do believe I don't think Emily Locke ever ends up holding her son uh, because he's taken away like, really right yeah. when he's born, and then when they say okay, we're gonna take him out of the incubator, she walks away. And so I, I do believe that until Susie Kurtz walked into Terry O'Quinn's life, Emily Locke actually never held her baby son, and that just like breaks my heart in so many ways. And you know even going uh away from like the fate versus free will stuff you mentioned it before with the alex garland quote we can talk about nature versus nurture and how that certainly informs characters like sawyer or jack for example i mean Locke is someone who never felt love for a good portion of his life and even when he did feel love in the form of helen 
you know, he had other desires that overwhelmed that that feeling of love. And you really just get a bucket of cold water thrown on you immediately about how John Locke is essentially a loveless man. Yeah. And so when he does find the rare thing to fall for, he will fall hard. All right. So in the jungle, uh, John and Ben and Hurley are walking. We're going to find the cabin. That's where we'll find Jacob. Hurley's got a ton of questions. Uh, so does John. It's like, when are we getting there? How close are we? How 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 much longer, Dad? Uh, and Ben's are we there yet? Yeah, are we there yet? And Ben's like, I don't know. And Locke's like, What do you mean you don't know? And Ben's like, I'm following him. And then he's pointing at Hurley. Uh, and I, I really one of the other reasons that I really love this episode in terms of setting up things. Let's talk about past John Locke. I think this is such a fun episode for the man in the new man in charge. I think this is yeah. such a great setup for the Ben and Hurley dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, I guess talking this stuff through the episode's already rising in my estimation. All right, sometimes that happens. It's great. We do it live. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, again, that's that's how the thing's going to end, right? With Ben following yeah. Hurley. Yeah. It makes yeah. sense that even yeah. in this moment, yeah. he's like, all right, this guy knows what to do. Yep, yeah. yeah. it's thematically rich. Uh, Richard Albert. Uh, yes, yeah, so it's like, he said he saw the cabin. And Hurley's like, eh, I don't know how to get there. Uh, so they're going to follow him. That's at least their, their plan. Uh, what are we going to do if we encounter the soldiers again? John doesn't really know. Um, the good news, I guess, is they don't have to deal with it right away. Back over at the freighter, um, we see uh, that the that Kami and his crew are landing. They've got their their butts kicked by a pillar of smoke. Yeah, there was. It looked like there was only one guy who was able to make it back alive and just like very much injured. He's going to pass later on, but it's clear that. Kimi came back with much... He came with less men than he left with yeah. on the freighter. Uh, I also love the fact that, like, Kimi's just so matter-of-fact. of like, yeah, a pillar of smoke killed this guy. What of it? Can you help him, Ray, or not? Yeah, he's, like, you know, meat and potatoes. Uh, like, some of the best that we've met, including John Locke. Uh, Kimi is, like, he gets really aggro very quickly. Puts a gun against Gaul. He's like, you sold us out. Gaul's like, no, I didn't. But we do have a spy, and it's Michael... So Kimi's like, Michael. Uh, yeah, and, and, and Kimi gets intense. I mean, he really goes into, like, zero dark Kimi after everything. Him him killing Alex, I think, has, like, given him a super soldier serum, and now he is riding high right now, where he's, like, despite the fact that the, the monster took out some of the stuff, he's, you know, threatening Saeed. You tell me the name and location of every single person on the island. Of course, Saeed doesn't know that. But when he walks in and sees that Michael has, of course, been tied up after Saeed sells him out at the end of Meet Kevin Johnson, Kimi, like, knocks him down, twists his leg it's really to make him cry out in pain. And then it was about to shoot him in the head, were it not for, again, if we're talking about other forces at play, were it not for the island seemingly jamming that gun, Michael would be splattered on the wall, Radzinski stuff. Yeah, do we, so are we, are we any closer to, like, understanding why, like, yeah, because, like, Kimi tries to shoot him, it doesn't work. Um, it, it's it's not happening, so he just like knocks him out, sort of classic. Um, are we are we any closer to feeling good about like why Michael can't die yet? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, maybe again, it's it's just that I the, think the could, forces that it's like this, like he's he, you know, he doesn't die because he dies in a day, right? Like that's how it has yeah. to happen in order for all the other things to happen. So like Michael just can't die because he always dies on in the explosion, right? Because it's like okay, if he dies here then the boat doesn't explode then the time travel then the island doesn't get moved and then john Locke doesn't make his way back and the show's the explicit rules are whatever happened happened so like he just like right. this stuff 
cannot work because once again, cosmic joke style, this is Michael's life, right? Like Michael, this is Michael's life. This is Michael's death. Uh, he is not to die in these ways, even though he is ready to go. Sadly, he has to wait a few more weeks uh, to just like yeah. blow up on a boat. The the little flag has to pop out and say, not yet. I mean, we see that later on, right? That Kimi's very easily able to fire a gun and kill Captain Galt without things jamming. So I think the fact that this is the first time this has happened to Kimi or really anybody on the show, yet everyone's had a pretty good uh, record when it comes to firing bullets in this show. Yeah. The fact this is the first time this has really happened shows that I think there is some foul play going on. Yeah, I mean, is it, it's like foul play, like sabotage. I don't. Yeah, I don't think Michael sabotaged the gun, but more so that like there are other beings, especially you know, in close proximity to the island. We saw that things are sort of already having an effect on the crew of the Kahana. I think it's very easily likely, especially when you t- your big theory last week, right, about how Christian Shepard's able to show up in the Kahana next episode. Like you take some of the monster with you. Yeah, like that. That the forces of the mm-hmm. island are at work here, and in this case. Uh, Michael's monster is able to produce a little bit of a bulletproof shield in the form of jamming Kimi's gun. Yeah, I was I was wondering about this. Uh, I, I oh, interestingly, uh, just before we signed on, it seems like we got some feedback about this exact uh, oh. theory. Let me read this on the fly. Uh, Dear Josh and Mike, this is from Gary. Uh, Josh may be correct about the smoke monster taking the form of Christian Shepard and something nice back home. Based upon the smoke alarm sounding at the same time, Dr. Shepard's image is seen by Jack sitting in the hospital lounge. This then may give uh, credence that the smoke monster was also Charlie, causing both Hurley and Jack to spiral out of control to the point they give up their initially ideal lives to return to the island, or it was Jacob screwing with both of them. Uh, okay, so that's not really I mean, it. Uh, but, they, yeah, but, but he says, thanks for turning me on to Lost. Love the podcast. We love you too, Gary. Yeah, thank you, Gary. I, I do not know why the Man in Black would want Jack and Hurley to come back to the island, considering they are candidates. Because he's but, got yeah, his plan. Was- he's ready to go. He knows, like, that he knows that they do. So he's like, let me be the cause of that. Let me be the one who brings them back and let me bring them back all wobbly. Like, if I'm going to stand a chance, <laughs> if I know that they come back anyway, let me be the last person to whisper into their ear and get them set in a way that I'm going to be good to deal with. Let me get them revved up and off balance so that I can do my Smoky Smokerton thing. I love the fact. Can we call season five like the Oceanic Six is OK, but wobbly? That's yeah. sort of just where their lives are at this point. Wobbly, wobbly, wop down into their grave plot. Uh, well, you know what? They don't fall down. They don't. Uh, so I think that that's what's going on. Um all right, well then, for the, for the, you take a little bit of Smokey with you stuff, and how that could pertain to Michael, let's get a little more ridiculous, uh, on the other side of this clip. So we're gonna get John Locke having a dream here. We'll listen in. This is the Locke and Horace scene. Let's play sound number one. Hello there. Who are you? I'm Horace. Who? What are you doing out here? Oh, building the place. A little getaway for me and the missus. No, I mean, sometimes you need a break from the DI, you know? The Dharma Initiative? <laughs> I'm not making any sense, am I? No. That's probably because I've been dead for 12 years.
Hello there. You gotta find me, John. You gotta find me. And when you do, you'll find him. Who? Jacob. He's been waiting for you a real long time, man. I'm Horace. Godspeed, John. Welcome back to the stage, John Locke's freaky ass dreams. It's, uh, it's been it's a while, John. Good speed, not Godspeed. But actually, exactly. is it that Mike? Uh, I believe that he introduces himself as somebody other than Horace uh, Goodspeed. If you could just play about like the first ten seconds of the clip again, I think it'll be pretty clear where you can cut it. All right. Hello there. Who are you? I'm Horace. Did he say he's a horse? No, could you just uh, play that again, but like extend it just a tiny bit further? You'll hear it. Do it one more time. Okay. Hello there. Who are you? I'm Horace. Who? What are you doing out here? Oh, uh, Horace who? <laughs> I'm Horace who? <laughs> Wait, so it's a, could this be another so foreshadowing of the time travel season, right? Like, oh, Doctor Who was here yeah. all along. He does sort of have the yeah. Tom Baker hair to him. No, no, Doctor was he, my dad. I'm, he's from the seventies, <laughs> which is where Doctor Who was popular. I'm Horace. Who? I don't know why that killed me uh, hearing it, and it just felt like to let that go by unchecked would not be down the hatch. So I had to just ask you to reverse the the Dharma van. Could his, could his middle name be Who? Horace Who <laughs> Goodspeed? Who Goodspeed. Yeah. Um, okay, so this is the smoke monster for sure. Yeah, so I think 100%. Either, that, either that or there's got to be, as I mentioned before, there might be a case where Jacob and the man in black are sort of like not necessarily working together here, but have the same intention. Because otherwise, yeah, it's, it's a pretty concrete plan. Go find Horace. Horace has the map to the cabin. Go to the cabin. Find Christian Shepherd. Christian Shepherd tells you to move the island. You move the it's island. All, kind of it's all smoky. And like, it's like, it's all insert. Like, it would not be Jacob's move to interfere here and show Locke what to do. He would want Locke to figure it out. Um, for for Smokey, it would be all about making Locke feel special. And Locke, you're doing this stuff, man. Look, you're on the goose chase. It's wild. And you're doing it. And it's happening. The, I don't think everyone has ever referred to goose chase without the adjective wild. I know you did it sort of after yeah, the fact. Yeah, it's the goose the, chase. You're on the goose chase. You know, it's not to say that, like, is the goose chase always wild? There may be just like, I, a, yeah, it's no. a very boring goose chase. What's what's the tamest goose chase that could be possible? I mean, geese are known to be, like, yeah. kind of assholes. Yeah. So, like, imagine that there's at least a level you're a on a very domesticated goose chase right now <laughs> this goose is on quaaludes it's so chill no, right wow. now uh, man th- 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 it's, it's a goose not a quail uh gooseudes um but it gooseudes <laughs> gooseudes <laughs> oh my god no that's an owl um so this is absolutely the smoke monster like it makes so much sense smoke monster like all right so here's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna pick a guy from the darm initiative I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my wispy smoke monstery thing, where much like I can like go into like the microphone on Hydra Island, 
I obviously can go into people's dreams. I'm speaking as the smoke monster, everyone. Uh, I can go into your dreams. I've done it before. I made John... Welcome, welcome to primetime at 8 on Thursdays, bitch. You know, I made John Locke dream about Yemi. I'm Yemi. Yemi's dead. I have access to the dead bodies. I can do that. So I go in your dreams. I'm the dead body in your dreams with my little smoke monstery smokiness. I'm in your brain. Your hippocampus, whatever part does the things with the dreams. I'm doing it. I'm touching I, the buttons. I'm tapping, tapping on things. Well, I wonder the synapses. If the, I wonder if the the like trade book, trade book, trademark slash textbook sign here is him mentioning Jacob. Like I know that we're going to get into obviously Jacob being an asshole in season five, but do you really think Jacob would say? You can find Jacob. No. Do you think he'd said he'd be like, come find me here if also, it really was Jacob? Also, then, uh, if Jacob is leading Locke to the cabin, he's leading him to his demise. Which, I mean, I guess some people would say that, uh, again, shout out to Riley, like, Jacob's an a-hole. And so, like, this is what <laughs> Jacob would do anyway. Um, but it doesn't really make that much sense to me. It makes so much more sense if the monster's like, I'm going to get Locke to the cabin. I'm going to get Locke to do the stuff. And I'm just going to continue to underline that the, the whole John Locke is a very special person narrative by giving him this fantasy, by sending him on the scavenger hunt. He right. finds the map because I showed up as this guy who's got the thing on him. He's going to follow it. He's going to feel like he did. Like he, you know, he solved the mousetrap. He's got he's I'm going to give him some of the cheese. He's going to move the well, island. All this not, stuff is going to happen. Not only that, let's remember that the last time he, quote unquote, encountered John Locke, he was pretending to be Jacob. Right. According to our headcanon as well. So I think he's going to keep this guy's up. Right. He's going to keep up the con of, oh, dude, this guy thinks I'm Jacob. Great. Let me keep going. Let me bring back sort of the repetitive. Teresa falls up the stairs. Teresa mm-hmm. falls down the stairs. This guy loves freaky ass dreams. Yeah. So I'm going to make that happen. Right. So I think like that all that all tracks pretty neatly to me. Um, and I, I think like it, it, it really underscores the idea that, that Smokey, uh, in, in this case, like, I mean, like, listen to what Horace is saying. He's like, uh, you need a little break from the DI. I'm not making any sense, am I? Because Smoke Monster wasn't part of the Dharma Initiative, so he's just bullshitting. Yeah. Is this sort of the equivalent of the Sea Bashemi and 30 Rock? Yeah. Like, oh, I'm cool. I'm hip. The kids still call it the DI. How do you don't do, they? fellow DIs? Like, yeah, it's that. It's that. Like, it's the monster, man, for sure. 100%. Yeah, I'm holding up, DI. The, holding up the butterfly. This is a smoke monster. Not a question. I totally agree. I, I think if it's Jacob, I think it actually almost impairs the writing a bit because then it means that, like, something is lost quite literally in communication between, like, in very Shakespearean style between the message that Jacob is saying and the fact that he definitively runs into the smoke monster in the cabin, at least. I mean, essentially... They're going to make uh, John Locke go from D.I. to D.I.P.S.H.I.T. by the end of the <laughs> I thought you were going to say like D.I.E. because that's where he's headed. He's that's gonna, true. He's going to die. Uh, so no, it, I, went for, I went for the triple word score. I like it. So it's so it's the it's the monster for sure. And so that means that monster can not only take on dead dead bodies and, you know, walk around as them. But he can like he can go into your into your dreams. If he goes in your dreams, he's tap, tap, tapping on those synapses, Mike. And he's in your brain. You take a little bit of monster with you and stuff. And then, like, yeah, like a little bit of monster in my life. Uh, to monster number five. Uh, that the, <laughs> that the smoke monster. Bye, <laughs> <laughs> that the smoke monster 
He's got a little bit of wisps that you take with you, right? Like you take a little bit of them with you. Uh, yeah, I think I think he takes root in your subconscious. I think is is what uh, the smoke. But what if he literally do. does it, Mike? What if he literally is there? What if he's literally there? Then uh, every time Michael is trying to die, or every time someone's trying to shoot Michael, there's like a tiny little <laughs> wisp yeah, of monster goes, ah, being like, ah, you no, you can't. Word. And so like he's like he's like jumping from Michael into the gun, jamming it up. He's like, you can't do that yet. No. Yeah, this, it's, yeah, it's, like, it's like a little fairy that yeah, like, tempers yes. with things, you know? Yeah, dark fairy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, he cushions him when he crashes into the <laughs> shipping container of like, oh, I'm your airbag now. Sorry, Michael, you can't die yet. So, <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's absolutely not what anyone intended. It's definitely not canon, but I'm choosing to no, accept no, it. No, it's canon now. Mini Monster it's, is it's, canon. It's, it's, down down the, the it's down the hatch canon. <laughs> and this is another thing that Galaxy Brain, during that epic binge of the end of season four, is like, Oh, yo, no, the monster's in their brains. Little tiny wisps of monster come with you. They can leave the island because he's just a little guy. You know, he's like little, he's not even, he's smaller than Mike TV. He's like if, he's like if Mike TV, when he got shrank down, additionally got shrunken down and then shrunken down like 20 more times. That's how oh, tiny. We're, we're talking, we're, we're talking like quantum we're realm. We're in the quantum here, realm. Mike TV. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. What if so? Then when Ant Man comes out due to the rat, he now is like acting a little bit more suspicious, and it's because he found his mini monster in the quantum realm. Like, look out for Michelle Pfeiffer because she might be able to turn on you. None of it's real. Watch out, Kate. Who knows if it's even real? Uh, none of it's real. Uh, it's it's a fake. It's a Pharisee, but it's hilarious. The fairy scene. <laughs> yeah, the fairy scene. Yeah, the little exactly. mini, mini monster. Mini monster is real in my it, it, on down the, the hatch. Mini monster is real. But to further that theory, Locke's going to actually wake up this time, and Ben's been sort of sitting there the whole time with a gun in his lap. Hurley's been dreaming about Malamars, but Ben just sort of muses. I used to have dreams. I, I love this episode for Ben. Yeah, Josh, because let's remember this is like the first time outside of the last couple of scenes of the shape of things to come this is the first time we're really dealing with ben who is reeling post loss post alex death and it's such an interesting reconciliation for ben to realize at least for this brief moment like my god everything i did was for nothing he'll talk about it later like i devoted myself to this island and i got a tumor on my spine and a dead daughter to thank for it and so i think him musing i used to have dreams is not only a fun little bit of like ah oh, back in my day i used to have the dreams but it also might imply that Smokey himself, I mean, we talked about this all the way back in The Man Behind the Curtain, he's going to get perverted mm-hmm. back in the 70s when he gets brought to the temple. Uh, I can imagine that, you know, he has a, an effect on Ben Linus as well and has probably been whispering false messages into his ears yes. over the course of these years. 100%. 100%. I used to have dreams, too. Now, the monster is not visiting him as frequently because he's trying to, like, you know, he's trying, he's getting them ready. He's getting, he's in the, he's... He's in the end game now. He's seen like one way this all works out, which is why it doesn't work out for him ultimately. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so he's just like, ah, screw Ben. This new guy is looking fun. <laughs> I'm going to hop in his head for a little while. Oh, yeah, so. <laughs> John Locke was a sucker. Yeah. Uh, I want to go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mini monster. Mini man in black. Yeah, I like it a lot. Tiny, I like little he's, mini, he's a tiny little man in black. A little mini Titus Welliver just like <laughs> sitting on your shoulders. 
What mischief may I cause today? You know, when I had this idea, I didn't even think of him as like little mini man in black, but I love it so like even more now. And now it's like a couple weeks after I had it, uh, the initial idea. I'm so in. It's like the great gazelle. Yeah. Like, oh, you dumb dumb. Yeah, he's just like this little tiny guy. It's like, hey. It's like when Beetlejuice is like barking up at Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis. Like, hey, get over here. You know? It's like little man yeah, in black. Exactly. I feel like the man in black can also like turn his face into like <laughs> yeah. a weird maw that he opens yeah, up. Yeah, so that's what's going on. Yeah, Ben misses his dreams. He misses his dreams. Um, all right, flashback. This is, uh, you know, just a yada yada through it a little bit. Richard Alpert is like watching everything. Like he did show up. He was told to come here just for like, just like to clarify it again for people who like don't have like the instant recall uh, that like pretty early into season five during the the time skippy stuff. Um, they're going to go back to the fifties. John Locke is going to meet, a, you know, a still the same exact age, Richard Alpert in the 1950s. Yeah, he's he's going to fix his broken ass leg. Mm-hmm. And he's going to go and he's going to hang out with Richard for a minute. Uh, and he's going to be like, if you don't believe me, I'm John Locke. I'm your leader. He's like, who says that? He says, you do. In like, you know, 50, 60 years, you're going to tell me I'm in charge. Uh, and if you don't believe me, I'm going to be born in like two years. You should go visit. So that happens in season five. And that is what's happening now. Uh, mm-hmm. this is John Locke, uh, being, you know, as a baby being, uh, you know, he's going to be put up for adoption. Uh, he's still in the hospital and Richard Alpert has indeed shown up. And so it's a really charged look on Richard Alpert's face in this moment when he shows up here, because I guess he has the means with which to leave the Island. Maybe he was able to like convince Jacob. like, I think maybe, uh, I want to check that out. Can I like get, uh, some PTO? Yeah. This is the 50s, so can you, like, charter a seaplane yeah, or something like, can you get to get me, me out of here for a minute? Um, and he goes, and he's like, oh, oh, he, uh, he's right. He yeah. is, uh, he was born this day. That's, that's pretty wild. I should maybe keep tabs on this guy. By default, Richard Alpert is the best person in this scene because everyone else is horrible. Yeah. Uh, so Emily Locke, I mean, for a number of reasons, uh, due to, I'm assuming, you know, Anthony Cooper does not return her calls. Maybe John serves as a reminder of, like, how she's not ready for this. Maybe how he left her behind when she felt so heartbroken by him. She basically says, She's also like, ill. She's very young. She's ill. But she basically says, like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. And leaves, which also sets up the unfortunate runner in John Locke's life, how he is essentially abandoned by anyone around him. I mean, I guess maybe from a certain extent, I wouldn't say John Locke dodged a bullet, but he at least missed out on no, having that was what seems Michael. like the worst. No, exactly. Yeah, but I think at least, from this perspective, John Locke missed out on having probably the worst grandmother in existence because Emily's mother is on Susan levels of deplorable for me. She's just like, after her daughter runs away, abandoning her child, she just goes, so who do I talk to about adoption? And just lights up a cigarette. Only Lu- the late Lucille Bluth could pull that, you know, don't give an F quality about. Okay, it's a very fine line. And this lady crossed it. I hate her. I hate her so much. Yeah, I was trying to think like uh, Eloise Hawking would be a worse grandmother, but I don't know if she has a grandkid, really. Does she? Yeah, I, don't I don't think, think so. so. I, don't, no. I don't think I don't think Daniel and Charlotte no, uh, get no. together she at would this have been. point in the time. She would have been. She would have been. Um, anyway, so that's why he's here. That's why he has shown up. He is the best person in the room for sure. He's Richard Alpert, so he's got a strong chance of being the best person in the room anyway. Uh, but that's why he's here because Locke told him to show up. And so that's like yeah. the thing that does make this episode. It plays differently with the context of the rest of the show. Um, that's why he is here. That's why he's going to show up again in a little while. He's like, okay, 
I guess that bald dude who disappeared right in front of me is indeed a time traveler. Yeah, so I guess I better pay attention to him and check in constantly during his life, because unfortunately, before he disappeared, he didn't say when I should be recruiting him and when he'll arrive on the island, so I guess I'll start early. Okay, um... Remind me that then I had like a, uh, in the way that I've been like having like these like, ah, like these like, like glossed over eyes, like he's not well folks types of like thoughts about lost. Uh, I had a really big one that I'm now being reminded of involving Richard Albert, John Locke and the smoke monster that we could talk about in a little bit. Okay. We'll put, <laughs> we'll put a pit in that. The mini monsters coming back. That's the tease. Yeah, All right. Hooray! <laughs> Um, okay, so let's uh, let's get back to the island. Uh, let's resume the walk about Locke and Hurley and Ben and the Dharma Initiative, the D-I-D-I-E-D, uh, and they are D-E-A-D, they're B-O-D-Y-S in this P-I-T. Let's listen. C-L-I-P-2. Can I ask you something? Sure. Why am I here, man? You're here because you can see the cabin, and that makes you special. Well, I have a theory as to why we're the only ones who can see it. I'd love to hear it. I think we can see it because we're the craziest. So, I just forgot where it was, dude. I didn't. We're not going to the cabin. We're going to make a pit stop first. Pit stop? Where? You ever wonder what happened to the Dharma Initiative, Hugo? There must have been at least a hundred of them living on this island. Manning the stations, building those homes, making all that ranch dressing that you like. And then one day, they're all gone. They just disappeared. You want to know where we're going? We're going to see them. D-I-D. Uh, yeah, I, I just love I love the way that ends. Obviously, we're getting we're going to get into the ending later on, which is maybe one of my favorites of just how purely ludicrous it is as as a concept. But I do love this act break as well with just how casual it is. I'm a little surprised Ben didn't realize they were going to the mass grave, considering that he led John there what seems like only a week or so. He's a little distracted, ago. Mike. He's had a hard hard uh, 12 hours or so at this point. But I but I mean, Ben at least pays attention to the conversation. When Locke mentions the Dharma Initiative, Ben has a look I know, it's great. on his face. Of yeah. like, oh, crap. We're going there now. Because again, look at this from Ben's perspective. This is someone who has recently i think started to reckon with the bad stuff he's done he'll really do that next season but imagine getting this reminder of like remember all these people that you ended up playing a hand in killing yeah. we're going back there as you can stare into their dead faces again yeah i love how Hurley's like what happened to them and ben's like well uh so it's an awkward story i had a really tough time as a kid you're right i really wanted some purpose my, my dad, dad was, an was a jerk 
I decided uh, that one day when I was old enough, I would team up with Richard Alpert and the others and I would march right up to my dad and say, I'll kill you. I'll kill you is what he would say to his father. And then he would do that and he'd kill the rest of the Dharma initiative. And it was very uncomfortable for everybody involved. And yeah. I was like, oh, but you'll still be my number two later. Like, yeah, yeah but, of course. But I'm still, still going to be my, you're still going to be my number one guy. Yeah. Uh, apparently. Well, speaking of that Hurley leadership perspective, again, it's a really fun little beat in his ultimate story that Hurley, even after the, the weird stuff in the premiere of season four, right, is still shrugging that off. That's not the island communicating to him from his perspective. He, having been institutionalized before, this is actually kind of from a, a Beats of Dave a bit, saying, oh yeah, we're the craziest, so that's why we see the cabin. We are the three kookiest guys on the island, and so this thing will only appear to us as sort of like a shared hallucination, if you will. So I think, you know, he's almost denying the throne that he will rightfully gain at the end of it. And so it's it's really fun to see him slowly, I think, over time. You know, we're going to get to, obviously, Jacob seeing him on the way to his flight uh, at the end of season five. But I think we're, we're a long ways away from Hurley being like, oh, yeah, cool. I can talk to people on the island. I can talk to dead people. Uh, I'm going to be your new leader now. Right, 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 right. It is a great scene. Michael Emerson with, like, the incredible face acting, uh, just the eye acting. Uh, and I love the line read on Terry O'Quinn. He did. <laughs> yeah, just so casual. Yeah, very it's casual. So much fun. Yeah. Well, it's considering that, remember, this is where John Locke almost died. Uh, this is where he got shot and left for dead. Yeah. And so the fact that he's even regarding even that, the place that he nearly ended his life at with so much of like, a, oh, yeah, I remember that place. Ah, is it still there? Yeah. Is the bartender still there? How's Fred doing? How's Fred? Is, is a lot of fun. He's not good. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. All right. Another flashback here. Uh, this time we are going back to uh, John Locke as like, how old do you think he is? Like five? Uh, whatever age four? that makes him look like Haley Joel Osment in the sixth uh, He's very sweet. He doesn't do a lot of talking. Um, he's sweet. He'll tell, listen, Josh, he'll talk when he has something to when say. When he has something to say, that's right. Uh, so John Locke, as a kid, gonna get a house guest. Uh, Richard Alpert once again checking in on the kid. He's like, I can't stay away. I gotta find out what's his deal. Let me go and see if I can't bring him to the island, uh, as I'm supposed to do. Uh, so he's gonna show up. He's got a little bit of a test for John. Let's listen in. It is coming down like cats and dogs out there. 
This nice gentleman wants to talk to you, John. So I want you on your best behavior. Understand? It's all yours. You like backgammon? Yeah. Seem to have a pretty good sense of the game. I'm Richard, Sean. I run a school for kids who are extremely special. And I have reason to believe that you might be one of them. Mind if I show you a couple of really neat things? I want you to look at these things. John isn't quite ready for our school. I'm sorry I've wasted your time. What did you do? Oh, there is so much to talk about mm-hmm. with this. So, so much. I I didn't realize this until uh, I did some research on Lostpedia, but going back to the, the sort of Eastern influence of both the di and the uh the hostiles proper this is essentially uh you know what buddhists would give to someone they thought was the reincarnated dalai lama down to this idea of like oh what belongs to you before right this idea of from that perspective if the spirit of the dalai lama is inside you you would know who your past life you know what they own prior it's it's you know to go to make a star trek metaphor it's like a trill uh, who were your previous hosts? And until you can know who those previous hosts are, you're not able to unlock their memories. According to Lostpedia, I'll read a direct quote here, because um, there's some other Dalai Lama roots existing with Richard Alpert. In the DVD commentary for The Man Behind the Curtain, Richard Alpert was described as someone who was not interested in leading the others, but was very influential in finding and selecting a leader. In the commentary for The Man Behind the Curtain, he was described as being similar to a Panchen Lama choosing the next Dalai Lama. 
He and Ben kept each other in check by having the power to pick slash veto each other's replacement on the island. Ben's role would be to pick the next Ponchin should the need arise. This kept the two in a sort of balanced power relationship. They were allies, yet they had some measure of control over the other should one get out of hand. So again, I feel like since since season three, really, this idea has been put forward of Richard being the person to find the next leader of the island. So I, I just love the Eastern connotations, especially when we bring back this idea of mysticism and religion. John Locke is a man of faith, right. so it makes sense that a sect of faith is being represented here with the test being given. Um, so why why does Richard get so upset about the knife? Well, I think Richard has been, to that point, has been believing that the narrative is this guy is going to be our leader. And so I could imagine maybe he's made a couple of other drop-ins at this point that when John Locke makes the wrong choice, right? He's, he's supposed to pick the compass because the compass is going to be the thing that he gives or that the man in black is going to set into motion. Then, you know, when he doesn't do that, that signals to, to Albert he's not ready yet. And I think maybe from a Richard Albert perspective, he's like, again, I keep go, I keep trying to, you know, run into this wall and the wall's not breaking yet. Okay, I'm done. I'm moving on. No time wasted here. Yeah, I've been thinking about it a little bit. Um, he so he he does take the compass and he takes the the sand as well, which you assume is like that's the island, right? Yeah, like the granules of of ash. It seems like, like he took some of that. I mean, is it is it ash? Is it is it is it like literal sand from from the beach? Um, you know, I think that that could be subject to some interpretation. He's like taking the island. He's taking the knife too. Why are you so mad that he's taking the knife as well? Uh, I was like trying to connect that to like, you know, that's ultimately like, um, you know, Jacob is going to be stabbed to death, but like Richard wouldn't know that yet. That really flies in the face of everything that Richard, uh, like that, that would fly really hard in the face of like Richard's final story point. I think it would really violate that. So it's not like he doesn't have advanced like heads up on any of that. But then I was thinking about a little bit more when Richard crashed on the island, uh, you know, the smoke monster, the man in black did try to get him to uh, to kill Jacob. He gave him a knife. He gave him a knife to yeah. do it. So, like, I can imagine it being like, this is like a sign of war. This is a sign of failure. This is a sign of somebody who's hurt and angry and going to be easily manipulated. And I think another thing that might be unsettling to him in this moment is you can't hear it in a sound clip. I mean, you you can. The song that plays, which as you're about to talk about, Locke has drawn a pretty disturbing picture mm-hmm. of a man laying on the ground with black smoke going over him. The theme that's going to play during that moment, as Jim Fells points out, becomes the man in black's theme in season six. So it's very, very clear what it's referencing. So at this point, for sure, obviously, the show knows what they're doing with uh, the Locke and, so, and yeah. Smoke Monster stuff, uh, which is cool. We're like in that place. We're like unequivocally like they've got that plan now, which is awesome. Um why is that here? How did that get it's a, there? It's a great question. How did I mean, that this, get this, here, Mike? How did uh, how does John Locke know to like draw this effective like fan art of his own demise? Art page, basically. Uh, could it be that perhaps in the time traveling stuff, in watching you know, in him being born? A little mini monster manifested itself in John Locke's mind. Is and, it, oh, you should is draw it, me, draw me, John Locke. Is draw it possible? Me. 
<laughs> just hear me out. Richard Alpert leaves the island. He goes to check in on baby John Locke. And when he leaves the island and he shows up at the hospital, that little strand of mini monster pops off and lodges itself into baby John Locke's brain. Oh, so wait, is Richard asymptomatic, but he's a carrier? He was a carrier. He brought mini monster. He brought mini monster off the island. It should be noted there are many mini monsters. These are like little. There are many mini monsters. Yeah, many. There are many mini monsters. This would be one mini monster that like lands in John Locke's. Like, oh yeah, this guy's a sucker. Yeah. Oh, look at his poor life. Look, I'm making him scribble what I'm good. What I'm planning on doing to him, and he's just drawing it like this happy little guy. Yeah, though, though people did actually compare the picture that John Locke draws not to Locke himself, but there's like a similar shot in season six, I believe, of Jacob just sort of hanging out by the fire with a plume of black smoke around him. Mm-hmm. So maybe it could also be like, is John pulling a, an Isaac Mendez here, possibly <laughs> drawing the future? Yeah. Maybe, maybe. It's, it's, it's a weird thing, though, because, again, this guy is clearly special. I also love... You know, uh, <laughs> Richard Alper coming forward with the X-Men pitch of like, I run a very special yeah, school. school for the gifted. Well, it makes me realize, actually, maybe in another universe, Nestor Carbonell would have been a really good Scott Summers. Yeah, he could be a good Scott Summers. I mean, give him like, I don't know, like another 10 years. He could be a really good Professor X. But you know what the problem is, is that he is known for his like absolutely lovely eyelashes. When you put those with the ruby specs on, it completely obscures them. That's why I say, you know, how old is uh, is uh I think Mr. Carbonell's in like his 50s. He's definitely crossed the Brimley cocoon line. Yeah, yeah, he's 53. He's, he's 53. 53. Uh, so give him like 10 years. He's ready to be Professor X in 10 years. I don't know. Uh, we know Richard Alpert, Josh. In 10 I years, know. he's going to look exactly the I same. I know. He just doesn't change at all. Uh, so yeah, so I'm canonizing Mini Monster, comes off the <laughs> island with Richard uh, to the hospital, lands in Baby Locke, and is like, oh, this little idiot. Oh my God, this little well, sucker. And also we know that John Locke, uh, he was an early baby just like Ben, so his immune system is weak. Yeah. He's susceptible to parasites. Yeah, and that's why when the monster's talking to Ben about John Locke later, he's like, he was a sucker. Uh, because like he used to suck his thumb. He was a little baby. He was there. He saw it. Yeah, you don't, you wouldn't believe what the kid <laughs> did during nap time. <laughs> <laughs> Some sick crap, yeah, man. Yeah, really light sleeper. Cried a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, oh, I had fun with that kid. <laughs> Got all well, kinds of weird objects just... uh, lodged in his ears. He would just like yeah, plug his is, nose. Yeah, like a, so his mini monster just also just Beetlejuice. Yeah, he's just, just turned into Beetlejuice at this point. <laughs> oh, showtime! Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I was just about to say smoking, as if he's also the mask. <laughs> He's not. Yeah, no, he's just, he's just, no, he's just smoke. <laughs> yeah, so I guess Smokey. I don't know what we've turned him into, but he's here. Mini Monster's here. If it, has, if it hasn't become abundantly clear in the past few podcasts, we've been recording these at night. Yeah. Uh, between we do these late now. Johnson and this, like, this has become very clear the distinct shift in tone with these podcasts. I kind of think it, I, again, like, maybe it's like, be worried. I think they've gotten better. Uh, I think. I listen, I think between, like, the very <laughs> prolific discussion between last week and the mini Beetlejuice yeah, Mock Titus like Wellover theory from this week. It's good. It's good. I think it's great. Uh, so, yeah, so Richard's like, well, that's not yours. Shuts it down. He gets like really moody, packs up his yeah, stuff and leaves. It's, it's, a, it's also a really interesting test as well, because John Locke, I could imagine as an orphan, 
really has not been asked to take propriety of anything in his life. I, I, I could imagine this as a kid who has always been told, like, that's not yours, that's someone else's, considering he also has been sort of shunted from foster home to foster home, that him being able to say, not only take what's yours, but, like, take what's always been yours is such a heady concept to this kid. So, like, no wonder he gets it wrong. That's a lot on the plate for this guy that has never had anything to call his own before. Yeah, yeah. So he's angry. He leaves. He decides to to call it there. Uh, so I don't know. I don't really understand it, uh, why he's so upset about the knife, but he is. Uh, back at the jungle, uh, we've got... Uh, by the way, if we're just ranking all of the various locks we see, Obviously, normal John Locke, number one. Um, this is my number two. I love this little kid. Yeah, I mean, we're going to get sweet, into... Sweet like, little clear, guy. Tiny little guy. We're, we're going to get into the clear number four in the next flashback <laughs> Yeah, Yeah, we are. Uh, I think that that's my hang-up. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Because otherwise, I'm, I'm having a really good time relitigating it. Yeah, we're, we're going to get to... I mean, listen, uh, puberty's tough for all of us, including teenage John Locke. Mm-hmm. All right, so back on the island, they're in the grave. Uh, he's digging around. Uh, and like as he's doing that, Hurley's like, "So you just shot him and left him here?" And Ben's like, "Yeah, I should have known. I shouldn't. It was just pointless." I and this is uh, again, it's a really fun dynamic because let's remember up to this point, these two really haven't interacted with each other, right? Because for a long time, Hurley was immediately sent off back to camp. The others dealt with Ben on Hydra Island. Ben only recently came into Locke's camp, but like the two of them really haven't interacted. As Sawyer was sort of in the mix as well. This is the first one and one time these two have had and the relationship that emerges is like so incredibly unique and is going to become such an end game relationship that to see the seeds start to grow here is so much fun in retrospect even these moments right where they're just sort of like i wouldn't say shooting the shit because ben is talking about how he helped commit mass genocide yeah, he was shooting the, uh, the guy he was shooting the, but like but the like the, the way that these two regard each other is such an awkward odd couple-esque relationship that to remember that these two are going to be the ones that are handed the keys to the island in the very end is so much fun. Did you see the keith to the island yeah keith is gonna come out and say <laughs> well all right here you go yeah. you have me now yeah, he's back um Okay, so he's gonna, they're talking, and yeah, we should savor it, I suppose, because we don't, like, even, uh, you know, by the end of the show, they don't really have much to do with each other. Yeah, I mean, they're gonna have a little bit in season five, I think, with Ben trying to, to, you know, help push everybody together. He'll throw the hot pocket, yeah, there's a little bit of that. But not a lot of of one-on-one time, and this is where Ben will also sort of drop, not necessarily drop the bomb, drop Jughead, but he, he tries to say here, okay, I didn't kill Dharma Initiative. It was their leader's decision. So now the question here, Josh, is is he referring to Jacob or to Charles Widmore? I think Charles Widmore. Yeah, I agree. Well, I know we talked in uh, in The Man Behind the Curtain about how we felt like, oh, this was, you know, Ben came up with the idea and could have claimed it was Jacob's. But I think given the time frame this happens in, because I think, as Horace said, this is 12 years prior to this. I don't believe Charles Widmore gets exiled until Ben purges everyone yeah right? yes correct and so what i think is going on here is like because ben we we have to like start to understand why we're going to get to the moment where ben is going to leave the island right like mm-hmm. why he's going to be willing to do what he does and then he'll have like buyer's remorse afterwards and he's going to be desperate to get back but i think something that's happening right now is he is starting to um, except is probably too positive of a of a way of putting it. 
almost resign himself. But he's starting to like resign himself to the idea that um, the leaders come and they go and they serve the island. And yeah. there was Widmore before there was Ben, and there will be Locke after there is Ben. And I think like he's starting to realize that like I couldn't shoot him, I couldn't, you know, I shot him, he didn't stay dead, blah blah blah. Um, and, uh, now that Alex is gone and all of this has happened because he like didn't give himself over, I think he's starting to like, you know, have these moments of, of, of thought of resignation of like, this isn't my show to run anymore. This is Locke's show now. And like, I will, I will just assist in the vision of the Island and he's there at this point in time. But then like, as it's going to be for everybody else, you know, for him, it's not quite three full years off the Island, but it's not far off from that. You know that no, it's gonna be it's gonna be a little bit because again he's gonna wind up like like, like eight months, months later, off. yeah, yeah, you know, um, yeah. So 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 and so I think there is this idea as well of like first a to your point. Oh crap, there are term limits. Uh, I thought I was gonna be the leader forever after I took power. I thought it was gonna be different. And b like we talked about him sort of looking back on his term and realizing like in wholly devoting myself to the island, I did not do good things. Yeah, and that's that's gonna be a tough decision to make. Again, it, it's really gonna just all culminate in his decision to make in at that time for him the ultimate sacrifice and leave the island behind which we'll talk about beautifully in the next couple of episodes but yeah it's, it's an odd headspace to be benjamin linus right now because he's essentially been told like you have two weeks notice uh and he's trying to figure out like what do i do now that i've committed myself to the job wholly right. for so many years right 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 right. um okay back at uh okay so no uh jack gets the the blueprints he gets the thing so this is also just like smoke monster just like putting this in horace's pocket either that or horace just happened to have the plans on him when he got gas did horace build the cabin I'd like to think so that he that you know he wanted to to use it as a place, and then they were just like, "Oh, this is a swanky shack. Let me take it over." Yeah, I'm not ready to talk about the cabin in a deep way, which is probably not great for the episode called Cabin Fever. Uh, well, I think I think we've still got some stuff, right? Maybe maybe when we when we get to the incident when they like go to yeah, the cabin, like that's the kind of stuff. Like, uh, so like, what did they trap the monster there, and then the monster got out, or like, what does all of this mean? Like, I don't I don't know that it fully connects for me. Uh, but you know, the closer we get to it, uh, probably the more I'll give it some thought. I I just haven't given it a lot of thought right now. Like, why does the if Horace built the cabin, why is the cabin moving? You know, like, I just like... It's, it's Hal's moving cabin. <laughs> it's who's moving cabin. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It could just be a thing of, like, the island forces took it over and, like, made it something more than what it was to begin with. It, it's, it has the capacity suppose, to yeah. do that. It could just been that, like, Horace built it and they wanted sort of, like, a corporeal guidepost right. rather than for them to show up as themselves. And so, I, I don't know, I, I could imagine that Horace, because otherwise like they would have to build the make the blueprints and then put the blueprints in his pocket uh though ben at least didn't seem to know about him and he they've been there for 12 years mm-hmm. um all right so let's go to the freighter uh kimi's still just sort of like uh aggroing galt takes his yeah, key I mean, he, he's intense because essentially so they need two keys to unlock the secondary protocol luckily uh Kima does not take a hint from Lindelof's future show The Leftovers and do some very odd things <laughs> to turn both keys at once. That's very funny. Uh, uh yeah, but, that's so great. he's they're able to, you know, break he's able to essentially get in there and read through what they need to do now. Because Kimi basically says, like, okay, this is war is officially happening. 
I'm going back to the island. Galt's trying to say, I think you're undergoing the sickness. I think you're maybe getting in a, a bit too deep here. Uh, and Kimi just, you know, basically uh, relegates him to gun-fixing duty. And so Kimi reads through a book that sports a very similar logo that Ben had on his jacket in the desert. And now we are going to see very, very soon right. that essentially is saying it's intel from Charles Widmore saying, OK, if in doubt, plan B is that Benjamin Linus is going to go to this place to try to move the island, you have to stop him by any means possible. Right. What's funny to me is that this thing is under such severe lock and key, but we're going to find out from Daniel Faraday. Uh, I don't know if it's at the end of this episode or if it's uh, at the start of next. Where he's like, I think it's at the start of the next yeah, one. Yeah, he's like, oh no, they're moving into plan B. How did he know? Yeah, maybe. I mean, we talked about how the freighters had different levels of, of access. Maybe Faraday, maybe someone was... It's a Faraday! Yeah, Captain Galt was sort of uh, spouting out at the mouth about it amidst smelly lima beam burps Uh about like, oh, there's this really interesting secondary protocol. Uh, I'm not sure. Maybe Daniel Faraday, uh, maybe he's in on it. Maybe he has super duper level access because he's technically Charles Woodmore's son. Yeah, maybe he told him. He's like, oh, by the way, just uh, FYI, uh, you should probably know about this. You'll probably forget it anyway. Um, So uh, Desmond and Saeed are going to meet up with Galt. Uh, Galt's like, yeah, this has gotten pretty out of control. Yeah, nice guy Galt here is basically like, all right, there's there's a lot of crazy crap going on right now. Uh, first, he tries to tell Desmond and Sight, like, just, you know, put your heads down, go hang out with my friends the Lima Beans, until Kimi essentially, like, might get out his fits of rage. But Said Said particularly is very adamant of, like, no, 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 we need to save everyone on that island from what Kimi is going to do. And so Galt is able to surprisingly comply. And despite like really negating everything Saeed and Desmond have done in the past, this time says, all right, fine, take a freaking Zodiac boat and get off this boat. Right. Uh, so he's like going to let them go. Also, meanwhile, as all of this is going on, they get the uh, the Morse code message about like what happened to the doctor. And it was like, oh, the doctor's fine. Yeah, uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, I will play the stand up on the boat. Unfortunately, I, I did cut out just Dr. Ray's very simple. But I'm the doctor. But I'm the doctor. <laughs> Great. It's just very like uh, yeah. Alias is a show about, about a, spy. a spy. Like very much Buster Bruce delivery. Yeah. Uh, back in the jungle, uh, Locke is telling Hurley, all right, well, you can go now. We know where the cabin is. Hurley's like, you're going to just let me go in the middle of the jungle with the Marines and the monsters, the mini monsters. No way. The many, many monsters. No, yeah, thanks. And, I'm and sticking with you. It's, it's dangerous to go alone, to quote the, the dude at the beginning of Legend of Zelda. So like, I'm sticking with you. And Ben... Really interesting exchange here between Ben and John, where, to your point, Ben is eyeing his successor. Ben says he actually thinks he's staying with his idea. Not bad, John. Not bad at all. And Locke basically says, I'm not you. You know, I not. I did not plan to incept this idea. And Ben turns that back at him and says, no, you're certainly you're not. You're certainly me. not. And it's this kind of thing where it's like, okay, you won the election. Fine, I'll leave. <laughs> you know? yeah. But, like, I don't have to like it. Yeah, also, like, you're pretty crappy at, at the, what you need to do, yeah, according to you me, know, which is, like, to Machiavellian manipulate people. Yeah, he's judging him, him pretty hard. Like, I do think, again, it's like, all right, fine, you're the guy, okay, but you suck. Yeah, like, oh, I can't believe this is the guy of all people. You, he doesn't even know how to convince someone to stay by using reverse psychology. Mm-hmm. John Locke. Yeah, he's like, damn it, all right, fine, you're the guy. All right, in high school, John Locke is a teenager getting stuffed into a locker. Yeah, is it his locker? If so, a great Geronimo Jackson poster. Loves Geronimo Jackson. Uh, All right, so he's going to get taken to talk to a teacher. Let's just listen in real quick. You want to talk about it? 
No. I know you're probably upset right now, but I do have some exciting news for you. I got a call from Portland recently. There's a company up there doing some very exciting things in chemistry and new technologies. They're called Mitalos Laboratories. I spoke with a Dr. Alpert. He's very interested in finding young, bright minds to enter in these new fields of science. They want you to go to their camp this summer. Science camp? Yes. Don't you understand that things like science camp are the reason why I get stuffed into lockers? John, this is a great opportunity. How do they even know about me? Well, they must have sent a rep to the science fair. Your display at Costa Mesa. I'm not a scientist. I like boxing and fishing and cars. I like sports. I'm going to tell you something. Something I wish someone had told me at your age. You might not want to be that guy in the lab surrounded by test tubes and beakers. But that's who you are, John. You can't be the prom king. You can't be the quarterback. You can't be a superhero. Don't tell me what I can't do. Wait, if John Locke can't be a superhero, does that mean he can't be in our X-Men casting with Nestor Carbonell? Oh, he is a very obvious Professor X. I know, but he can't be a superhero. That's what his teacher told him. There's a couple of reasons. John Locke specifically. Um, Yes, I guess that is what that means. I mean, he could be sort of like a normie, right? Like he could be like a... He could sort of be like the a Nick Fury type. Yeah, I mean, he could be like one of like the anti mutants. Uh, like, he could oh yeah, he could be uh, uh what's that name? Great, Great and Creed was that his name? Yeah, or, or uh, Shrank, whatever the name of that. <laughs> Shrank. Uh, the, what was there was the name of that senator who like uh, uh, opposed the who sent out the the, the accords, the anti mutant legislation? Uh, senator Kelly. <laughs> It might be Senator Kelly. No, I mean, you know, Boulevard Trash. That's the okay. name of the guy who built the, the, guy who built the Sentinels. <laughs> I just love Trank. You know, Trank. I was close. Boulevard Trash. I was close. Yeah, no, you were. I was like that. Trank. Um, yeah, I hate Teenage Lock. I hate, I hate yeah. it. I mean, that's the point, though. This one, I know, but like, I've already got it, I think. Uh, like, this, this scene feels like a deleted scene. This doesn't, like, the, uh, the teacher is also very bad, I think. Uh, like this whole scene, this whole scene feels like this feels like a missing piece. It's it's a lot of bad, tough love from this guy, right? Of like, look, John, just go to the freaking science camp because you're not going to be anything else in life. So, like, become a scientist like yeah. me, your geeky teacher. It's like, dude, I think you're projecting a lot onto this kid. And I think that's the, the other thing as well is like, I can I can understand this scene. I think it is, again, coming from this sort of heightened emotion that comes from not only the age that he's at, but also his his lot in life at this point. He's the type of guy that's getting shoved into lockers, right. and so he's essentially being told, like, you're never going to be popular, so you might as well take this path. Again, this is John Locke saying someone saying, this is the path you need to take, and he's making a very deliberate choice to say, not yet. I'm taking the off-ramp right now. We're not going to get to our, our final destination. Uh, I, I, I like it at least because the other scenes, you know, John Locke makes a choice, but he's not really vocalizing it. I do like the fact that we give dialogue yeah. to it. I do think that maybe the you can't tell me what to do is a little cute. It's a little bit like, oh, that's the origin of his catchphrase. 
almost, but I can appreciate the scene and that it does tell me something a bit different and continues this adage of it wasn't just a kid thing. Like at every stage of his life, this guy had opportunity knocking at his door and he chose to essentially slam the door in its Yeah. I get it. I just, I think we basically got it. It just feels like, well, it's a flashback episode. We need to stick another one in here. And it just sort of feels like they had to like drop it in. Uh, it's definitely my least favorite scene of the lock stuff in this episode. I don't think it's really close. Yeah. I mean, yeah, teenage, teenage lock is uh, definitely the bottom. If we're doing the Mount Rushmore of locks, he's sort of just like barely on the side there. Yeah. Uh, it's just like a little to the left. All right. Back at the freighter. This is going to be Frank with Michael. Frank's like, why didn't you tell me, you idiot? Dude, remember when I was talking about didn't, how I thought this was one big conspiracy? Yeah, didn't I tell you that, like, I believe in hoaxes and that this is the biggest hoax of all time? And, like, I would totally believe you if you if you were like, oh, my God, all right, well, then I'm Michael. <laughs> like, well, I would have thought that. To be fair, though, Michael then does respond with, yeah, so you know your boss put the plane there. He's like, oh, no, well, that's, that's a step too far, my friend. No way is that actually yeah. happening. Yeah, uh, I just thought that was great. I, I love that moment from Frank. He's like, I can't believe you didn't talk to me. Yeah, but I also like that Michael uses that opportunity to connect with him, to plead with him, saying, do not take Kimi to the island. Like, everyone will be dead, and you do not want that on your conscience. Trust me, I have two, and it sucks. Ghost Libby won't stop haunting me. Yeah. You do not want a whole island of people haunting you. Yeah, good episode for Michael, huh? Fairly good. Uh, I think he's obviously going to have his bigger moment, obviously, in, in the finale. But I think in response to meet Kevin Johnson, it's, it's a little bit of a rise I think all for things Michael considered, right like right now, he's trying to say to Frank, like, get out of here. Like, you guys need to get out of here. Uh, like, don't fly that dude back. He's going to kill everybody. So, like, Michael's, like, trying to do the right thing right now. Um, yeah, because especially, remember, his mission was, like, kill everybody. Uh, and so he's deviating from that mission, but doing it almost in his way of, I'm still going to save everyone on the island, but it's not going to involve me torturing everybody here. It's going to be me doing it my way of convincing people to yeah. not carry through with the secondary protocol. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he's like trying to like be like, this is not good. Uh, none of this is great. And I think that like uh, Frank's like, oh, yeah, well, I mean, I'm probably going to have to fly him back or he'll shoot me. Uh, but, what will he do? Like it's not like he's gonna kill the doctor or anything. But I response. do, but I do appreciate this from from Michael. I think uh, I think yeah. Michael's coming from a good place here. And 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 then Frank, it seems like I was I wasn't sure. So Frank's gonna take Michael out of his holding cell. I wasn't sure if Frank let Michael escape or not. It seemed like he was really playing up. Like oh, I'm just taking the prisoner, boss. But we we get a sneak peek here on what is going to be a huge ticking time bomb, quite literally, in the finale, which is Omar. Fitting Kimi up with, I mean, it literally is a metronome that you get at a music store yeah. taped to his to his forearm, but it's going to be, uh, you know, the heart bomb that Kimi's going to have yeah. triggered, triggered to him of like, hey, if you kill me, you blow up the freighter. Yeah. It's like applied to his body in a very odd way. It's so, like, I, I personally think Kimi just wants to show off his biceps, yeah. right? So he's just like, tape it right there on the inside, so every time I hold my arms up, people can see my gains while also fearing for their lives. I but I love that, like, Kimi and Omar seem to, like, acknowledge that, like, this looks ridiculous. They're like, let's just yeah. shut the door. I don't yeah, want to keep do getting the, all these the, weird looks. They do the end of The Godfather, part one, yeah. right? They just sort of, like, Michael Corleone and Omar just shuts the door yes, away exactly. from that. We're doing, we're doing private merch yes, stuff here. Yes, yes. Uh, speaking of uh, orange peel smiles. Um, uh, elsewhere on the freighter, Captain Galt's going to hook Saeed up with the boat, uh, the Zodiac, to go from to and fro. Desmond's not going to come with him. 
Because he said, I've, I'm never going back to the island until the final season of the show. Until I am the package. Like, Penny may be here any minute. Like, I'm not leaving. It's like, don't, don't worry, I can handle this on my own. Uh, cool yeah, moment. And I, and I, uh, it's like the music of Hollywood and Vines kicks yes. up here. Yeah, oh, it's and it's the first time it's come back since the end of season three. That's where they cool. were trekking to the radio yeah. tower. It's a really great symbol of oh we're at it again yeah. you know same shit different yeah, day. Yeah, like, yeah. everything's coming to a head but i think the desmond moment while a small moment in the the grand spectrum of this episode is a really interesting character moment mm-hmm. of desmond making a deliberate choice and made me very happy as someone who you know as we saw at the end of season three like no he was about to talk to penny and then charlie slammed the door because the water came in you know, this is a guy that is not going to miss his opportunity, unlike John Locke earlier in life. And so it really was affirming to me as a Desmond Penny lover to say, yeah, you stay here. Don't go back to the island because knowing you, you're going to get stuck there. Let's leave the misery to Juliet when it comes to not being able to leave the island. Yeah. Uh, so he's going to leave. All right. Let's go back to the jungle. Ben and Locke. Uh, a very interesting conversation that I think we could benefit from listening to. Let's listen. It should be about 200 yards this way. You sure it's going to be there, John? I'm sorry? The cabin. What if it's moved? Again. It hasn't moved because I was told that this is where it would be. I was told a lot of things, too. That I was chosen, that I was special. I end up with a tumor on my spine and my daughter's blood all over my hands. I'm sorry those things happened to you, Ben. Those things had to happen to me. That was my destiny. But you'll understand soon enough that there are consequences to being chosen. Because destiny, John, is a fickle bitch. I always felt so weird about Michael Emerson saying the word bitch. Mm. It just doesn't feel right. Yeah, but like Ben is there. He was here... Then he was here, and right. now he is here. It's, it's this idea of he's been so powerful and confident that he doesn't feel the need to curse, and now he's sort of down on his luck, like, yeah, let me just put a dollar in the swear jar. Destiny's a bitch, John. Yeah. Yeah, and, like, he knows. He knows he's been there. Yeah, he's essentially telling John, good luck with this job. It sucks. Yeah, it's not fun. Exactly. You'll end up with your daughter dead. Yeah, it's not good. Uh, so it, it is an interesting moment where, like, I, I think it really speaks to where Ben is at, where, like, Agreed. it is like, this is not what I expected any of this would be. I've been in service of this place for so long, and it's always broken my way, and now it's not only not breaking my way, but it's, like, breaking against me in the worst possible way. This is going to be the stuff that's really going to, whether it's mini monster or not, right? Like, this is going to be a stuff that when he leaves this place is going to fester. And get yeah. worse. And it's already yeah. pretty bad. I mean, the mini monster, the big monster is going to really dig in the knife uh, in next episode, in the next season, right? When he's like, hey, let's watch your daughter get killed over and over again. As we talked about before, Ben is trying to shrug this all off on those things had to happen to me. You know, there are consequences to being chosen. But I do feel like there is like a hint of snark in that delivery that is almost to say of like, yeah, destiny isn't really a thing. I was told I was making these choices for the greater good, and now I'm being discarded mm. despite making these terrible decisions. Yeah. Yeah, it ain't good. Um, all right, here's another cool scene. Final flashback. 
of the episode. John Locke uh, doing physical therapy, trying to uh, relearn to walk. It's not taking. Um, so he gets placed in the wheelchair and there is a man operating the wheelchair. And for the first time in a long while, we are seeing Matthew Abaddon back on the show. Lance Reddick on yeah, I would uh, say, uh, since the first two episodes of season four, I think Lance Reddick on loan from Vancouver uh, where they were shooting fringe. I don't know if they were uh, maybe Toronto at the time. I don't know. They ended up in Vancouver anyway. Uh, and he's here just like to put like kind of like a bow on the Abaddon stuff. Uh, Odon. Yeah. And it, this is I, I always love the way uh, this one ended. Cool conversation. Worth listening. Don't give up, Mr. Luck. Excuse me. I'm just saying, don't give up. Anything's possible. You should read my file. My spine was crushed. There's a 98% chance I'll never get any feeling back in my legs. So I don't know why I'm even it's trying to drag my... I did read your file. You survived falling eight stories out of a building. That's a miracle, Mr. Luck. Let me ask you something. Do you believe in miracles? No. I don't believe in miracles. You should. I had one happen to me. Hey, look, I just want to go back to my room. You know what you need, Mr. Locke? You need to go on a walkabout. Wow, what's a walkabout? It's a journey of self-discovery. You go out into the Australian outback with nothing more than a knife and your wits. I can't walk about anything. In case you haven't noticed, I'm a cripple. Is that what you are, Mr. Locke? I went on my walkabout convinced I was one thing, but I came back another. I found out what I was made of. Who I was. And here you are. An orderly. Oh, I'm a lot more than just an orderly, John. When you're ready, Mr. Locke, you'll listen to what I'm saying. And then, when you and me run into each other again, you'll owe me one. So yeah, this is a You'll little bit of a tinge of of the Naomi stuff, right? Where like clearly there was a larger thing that probably would have gone on with Matthew Abaddon had Lance Reddick been more readily available. And this is even more vague than Naomi and that Matthew Abaddon is saying, I went on this walkabout, a miracle happened to me. So Josh, how much of that story do you think is true? Uh, that like a miracle happened to Abaddon? That like Abaddon had this walkabout experience that he's actually speaking authentically to it. Basically, none of it. You think this is just a total load of bull? Yeah, I would. I, I could see. I mean, I could see maybe there was some sort of miracle that happened that put him in the stead of someone like Charles Winmore, for instance. Like maybe Charles Winmore was the miracle maker and saved his life and put him in his debt for him to say, like, okay, you work for me now, almost like Mister Pink and Gin. 
Almost. But yeah, I, I do not know if the walkabout specifically was linked to it. It seems too coincidental. I think like maybe it's like at this point that they've gathered enough intelligence that like maybe they put together that this is how it's going to go down. Like especially like if you buy that um, Charles Widmore like put Desmond on the island basically, right? Like that was the sole like and I don't know that we necessarily do. Um, but like I think that there is uh, there are enough reasons out there to think that like the walkabout stuff is either like planted information that they know that that's something that's coming up for John or that they think that this is just something that would really appeal to him and that this would be something that could potentially get him to, you know, Australia. And if Australia is a hot spot and Los Angeles is a hot spot. uh, And like, if that is like an arc that could bring him to the Island at some point, um, maybe there's just like, I don't know, some weird stuff going on there. Well, yeah. So, so to that point, I mean, this is this is official, not official, but like we we are in unison here that Charles Winmore in this case is still working for, uh, or Abaddon still working for Winmore, right? This is not Abaddon speaking on behalf of the island, saying John Locke no. needs to go to Australia to come here. Yeah, I don't know what they were aiming for initially with Abaddon necessarily, but uh, certainly the way that he bears out is that he's like, you know, he's Widmore's guy. Right. Like he's he's sort of like Widmore's Richard Alpert almost. And so it wouldn't make sense then. Again, if there are these like in this case, we're going to find out that there are or we've been talking about the two sides on the island. But at this point, uh, through season four, there have really been two sides of like Charles Widmore versus the island uh, and as represented by Ben and Richard. And so if one side was being, you know, represented through Richard, there's this really interesting dichotomy Josh, that I felt throughout all of Locke's flashbacks, which is why I love them so much. And it's not man of science, man of faith. It's man of science, man of action. Yeah. Because if you look at the test scene and John Locke as a teenager, both of those, John Locke is sort of charged to be on this path of being the the man of action, right? He picks the knife. I like sports. I like being popular. <laughs> I like and sports. He's tur- and I like boxing, so I'll work at a box company. Right. He is turning down the path of science that comes in the form of the compass or maybe even the, the vials of sand. Quite literally, he gets invited to science camp and refuses that offer to go on down this path of being a man of action. So one, he dispels one side. The other side comes to him from that man of action perspective. The other side is saying, oh, well, I am an, a man of action now because I went and did this. You can still be a man of action, John, if you just change your perspective. That's the pitch that John Locke needs. And so, again, if you're talking about, like, these two sides, these two sides, let's talk about, again, the, the more macro two sides battling against one another, they're able to get John Locke to the island by really, you know, buying into his idea of becoming a man of action yeah. over a man of science that'll eventually turn into a man of faith. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. They've, I mean, they've been, uh, it, they've, it's the, the statue of David, you know, I'm working. Yeah, ex- exactly. You just sit, they've sit been there sitting staring there at staring at him, figuring out what he's going to be. <laughs> exactly. hundred percent. It's a cool scene. Even if Abaddon's sort of just like a, a little bit of a dead end, uh, yeah, no, that 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 hospital needs to do better background checks. We just let a random Widmore employee in. As nah, they've got good credentials. Uh, Widmore, Widmore put the three hundred some odd bodies at the bottom of the ocean. 
you know that's true i guess this, this dude has is able to uh to you know he's got really it. put himself under the radar if need be um all right back at the freighter uh they're prepping for the flight um this is gonna be <laughs> for whatever reason uh why does uh uh omar like just like tell us the doctors like by the way some crazy thing happened well i think they were just really affirming to us like hey as a reminder the doctor's gonna wash up yeah dead, sure and this hasn't happened so i guess by the time displacement this stuff is happening like 12 hours before the island yeah. like there's a, there seems to be some sort of separation because obviously this happens at night and it does seem like first thing in the morning in the shape of things to come is when they find uh dr ray's body washed up on the shore all right so he warns them you're gonna be dead man like they found you he's like what <laughs> what are you talking and i'm the doctor, I'm the doctor. <laughs> all right let's do the standoff everything here yes sir could get it packed up what are you gonna do with all that fire her up frank mr kimi i was hired to fly scientists get your ass in the cockpit and fire up the chopper frank i'm not taking you I'll kill you, Frank. Yeah, well, you do that, you'll never get back to the island because I'm the only pilot you got. Sorry, dog. Did I change anything, Frank? Huh? Another 30 seconds goes by, it's somebody else's turn. Fixed your gun. Now stand down, Martin, or I will fire. I don't think you want to do that, Captain. What's that on his arm? What's that on his arm? <laughs> hey! What'll it be, Frank? We're flying. Because I'm Batman. Because <laughs> I'm Batman. <laughs> I, I love Kevin Durant so freaking much. I know. Especially, like, again, post-killing Alex Kimi does not give an F. And here he is just offing the two most important people on the Kahana yeah. just to make a point, essentially. It is so... I don't want to say badass, because it's, like, textbook evil, but it, it's kind of fun to watch. Yeah. Yes. Uh I also love I also love how Kimi calls him Cap'n. He sucks. Like Captain Gold master. sucks, man. Uh, the final ruling on Galdus, he's a, he's not a good character. Yeah, I mean, he was he was like a nice guy, but he also does do the the like the textbook thing you don't do when someone has a gun pointed at you of looking away. Yeah, like <laughs> he really takes his eye off the ball here from a guy who's like clearly pretty agitated and is definitely willing to kill people. He just shot, and you know, he killed to, the like, doctor. Be a very good shot of okay, he might not have a gun. I mean, right now, but. Well, if I look away, it's not like he's going to easily grab a gun from one of his cronies and shoot me yeah. without me knowing it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I want to like apologize to to Grant Bowler, 
who plays Captain Galt, uh, who I am to understand, he's the host of, I believe, uh, The Mole in New yeah, Zealand. He, he, was, he was previously the host of The Mole of uh, Amazing Race Australia, and I believe he is the host of The Mole Australia. I bet he. I bet. The current host I bet he's awesome. I really do. He sounds like he's like super game to like uh, be part of the fan culture and stuff. Uh, so like you know it's it's no disrespect to the guy uh the the character is just really it does not do it for me and just well, it's, uh, it's 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 tough because he's he was in three episodes up until this point he was built up as this big mythical figure that we were told oh don't trust him when he seems like relatively like a super nice guy comes and invites Said and desmond and is like oh here's everything that happened here's your expo dump and then gets tricked by kimi in the end, the, the honestly, the best thing that he did was give Saeed that Zodiac boat. Yeah. That's his legacy on yeah, the show. Yeah, more or less. So thanks for that. But then he's dead. Uh, Dr. Ray is also deceased. And Frank is finally like, all right, enough killing people. Let's just let's just do this. We're flying. A really, really fun line from Jeff. We're Bain flying. as Because yeah. uh, he's just like, matter of fact, like, okay, I guess I'm doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, Michael could say all he wants to, but when he ends up killing people, but... Frank ends up getting the last laugh here because while Kimi's doing his best Ben, come on, come on, come on, hippity hop, hippity hop, hippity hop, right. uh, Frank decides to squirrel away a sat phone that he's going to end up tossing overboard when they fly over the island. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so he's going to figure that out. That's going to happen basically now, right? Like, we go yeah. to the beach, Jack is up and about. So this is about, what, 24 hours or so after the surgery? No, no knowing Jack, it's probably like two hours no, after I, the surgery. I think, I think like they, uh, in the next episode, maybe they, they will like make it clear on the timeline. Uh, mm-hmm. that like a, uh, like a, like a full day basically passed that we missed on the beach. I'm pretty sure that that's right. Um, but this is what I was talking about last week where Juliet like shows up. She's like, what are you doing? You idiot, you big dummy. Not- Doctors make the worst patients. You know, so, like, at this point, it's not like, like, they can't talk to each other. Like, there's still something, like, there's a kind of, like, a chummy quality to the two of them there. Yeah. And there's a bit of chumminess between Juliet and Kate as well, you know, sort of passing the torch as well of sort of, uh, who Jack is holding a torch for, ironically enough. Yeah. It's interesting when, as the group looks at the chopper, Juliet and Kate are the two that are really smiling, and then they see the chopper come directly above their heads, not stopping anytime soon. And interestingly, Josh, so Frank's going to gonna toss out the sat phone. It's going to take out a shelter. Do you know whose shelter that is? No. It's Claire's. Ooh. So I think it's, it's uh, I don't know if that's coincidental or not, or purposeful on the production's part mm. that, yeah, Claire's not going to be a part of 815 mm. anytime soon. Her home's gone. Yeah, all right. So they've got the sat phone. He's like, oh, I think they want us to follow. It's like, ah, maybe to some degree, but also be careful. Yeah, also, they they have guns. Yeah, they have guns. All right, yeah, we'll pick that thread up, and that's going to be, like, a huge piece of where we're going after this. Um, all right, let's go back to the jungle one last time as they reach the cabin. Ben, at this point, saying, I'm not going in. My time, time is, is over. over. You have been chosen. Sail on, Silver Girl. And Hurley is also like, yeah, I'm going to hang out outside. Uh, so John Locke is, like, you know, without... Pretty much any hesitation is going to go in, seize his destiny, and have a a face-to-face with who he believes to be the island, the emissary for Jacob, essentially. And what is happening instead is a very different type of conversation. Reads very differently when you know what it actually is. That This is going to be John Locke face-to-face with not the mini-monster. This is the real genuine this article. This is the maxi monster. This is the man in black. Uh, John Locke and the man in black with a side order of Claire to close out the episode. 
Are you Jacob? No. But I can speak on his behalf. Well, who are you? I'm Christian. You know why I'm here? Yeah, sure. Do you? I'm here because I was chosen to be. Where's the baby? The baby's where he's supposed to be. And that's not here. It's probably best that you don't tell anyone that you saw her. Why? We Why don't, is we she don't have time for this. The people from the boat are already on their way back. And once they get here, all of these questions won't matter one bit. So why don't you ask the one question that does matter? How do I save the island? supposed to do I did well he wants us to move the island it's cool cool ending really great also uh, obviously the Apollo bar moment which we cut from the sound but is also a really really incredible moment Bonkers. Yeah. Bonkers. Yeah. Bonkers. Yeah. Wild. Wild. Move it. We're moving, We're moving the, the island. island. Never a concept that had been talked about before. Moving an island altogether is just a ridiculous concept from a physical perspective. But it was kind of confirmation say. of what some people were like, oh, I wonder if the island moves and that's why no one can find it. And they're like, yeah, it's that. Yeah, exactly. That they have the ability. I mean, it takes a lot, but you know, you you have the ability to. But it's so matter of fact, and it's game changing. Mm-hmm. Of okay, this is what we have to do. This is our own secondary protocol. That if these guys are really coming knocking at our door, we have to move the house. Yeah, we have to move the island. It's just it. It's I, it was like seismic. I remember my. I loved this episode at the time, but like this became a hugely favorite episode for me 
upon that ending because I was not one of those people who was saying, oh yeah, I'm sure the island moves from place to place. I thought it was just fairly stationary and almost like Bermuda Triangle-esque was in this odd pocket of things going on. So when John Locke says, at, at the time we believe the island tells him we have to move the island, it's like, how? What? Yeah. Why? Yes. Where? How? When? when? I guess that's now. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so it was really, really neat. It was just like a cool twist and like, Thankfully, you don't have to wait long, you know? Yeah. You just have to wait, you know, like three hours, I guess. No, you have to get through one hour and then wait two weeks and get through the actual two hours of, yeah. of the island movie. Yeah. But it still is, it really propels us into next week. I think that's what this episode, particularly the last act, a does setup. a really great, really great job of is. We know Kimi's coming and he's madder than ever. We know that, you know, uh, 815 is, is in danger of being torched. And now the island's going to freaking move. We are in for a jam-packed finale. But but let's talk about the, the cabin encounter here. Because like you said, so different the first time you watch it than watching it back in retrospect. Because in retrospect, it's John Locke making a deal with the devil. Yeah, and Claire has already been gotten to. You know, she's t- yeah. she's talking like, you know, anybody who we see the monster corrupt later on in the show. So that's yeah, happened. And, and she's infected. And it's wild because we know also the relationship that Locke and Claire have. You know, it's pretty impactful for him to see that. Yeah. You know, this is the person who he is the only one who celebrated her birthday. He built a crib for Aaron. He punched Charlie in the face. He almost let her stay outside in the barracks and get shot to smithereens. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. But 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 besides that, he's very protective of her. And so to see her fall under its influence, I don't know. You have to imagine that does mean something to Locke. At that moment, uh, it happened to be, you know, nice coincidence of, hey, here's this girl that I could bring to my side through the visage of her father. And here's a guy who also cares a lot about this girl and would probably believe what I said a lot more if she was also believing it and drinking the Kool-Aid. Yeah, um, it's interesting. It, it is uh, to, to like know that this like I think that this scene is really, really tight. I think this scene is like it, it interacts uh, very smoothly with the direction that they're going to take Locke, certainly through season five, right? Uh, right. And where they're going to take the the Man in Black, certainly through season five. Like, I th- it's it it's really compelling to me that like my feeling is the best Man in Black smoke monster stuff is when like the show is not cards up about who he is, but you right. knowing the way that the show goes can read him the proper way. Like, that's the best version of this character. So, like, we're getting that stuff here with Christian. Like, the guy we're talking about right now is the guy that we're going to see, like, dominate the second half of season five. And that is an awesome character. Uh, They do a really, really cool job Mm -hmm. with that character. So, it's not that he's, like, debuting here, but it's a a big coming out party. Party. Uh, Exactly. And another really fun thing that I, I didn't notice before this time is Christian is actually dressed differently than when we're used to seeing him, right? When he appears to Jack, he's usually wearing that that suit that he was, quote-unquote, buried in. Right. Here, Christian's wearing something much less formal. He's actually wearing clothes that make him look more like the others. Or, or Jacob. Jacob, yeah. It's like Grey so it Jacob. Really, yeah, so it, it's Jacob, but it really is this idea, right, of, like, dress like the part you want to be. If you want to haunt Jack and look like his dad, you dress up like dead Christian Shepherd. If you want to believe that you are Christian Shepherd, but you are speaking on behalf of the island, dress like Jacob and people are more likely to believe you. It's a very small, subtle wardrobe choice, 
but to your point speaks about the clear manipulation that's going on with this character. There's even small stuff with, are you Jacob? No. So that later on, he'd be like, well, technically I wasn't lying. Yeah, I didn't lie to I you. I said I wasn't Jacob. Oh, I he just, just spoke he on his could, behalf. He could just lie to Locke if he wanted to. This dude's going to be dead anyway. Um, but it's more, it's more convincing this way. Support- yeah, but I, and I, there's also I just there's so much great exchange between these guys between you know why I'm here yeah sure do you really just this idea of him taking things and turning it back onto John Locke he can't help but really you know point him out for the sucker that he is of like you don't even know why you're here do you and Locke's like no, I was because he loves it he loves it and when he's like I was chosen and he just like kind of smiles he's like that's exactly right yeah because I chose you after I saw you with Mr. Echo I knew that you were my guy that's exactly right Um, it's so dark it's really really tragic it's really sad I'm back on my John Locke bullshit like this episode does get me back there Um, you know it's it's just so it's so I want again I I keep saying fun in such a weird way here but it is it's enjoyable to watch it's really good it's really really good acting it's really it's really fun in the same way that like if you think Stephen King is fun you know exactly it really does feel that way it really feels like I don't know it feels like something really twisted there's some really twisted yeah. stuff that's going on here. But I think also, like, to the point of, like, the 20-minute conversation we had at the start of this thing, I think there's a lot of really interesting ideas that John Locke's story presents about, like, why, uh, to, like, some extent, at least, like, like you are you are responsible for your decisions and you should make good decisions where you can and you mm-hmm. should you should you should not live like a, a you know a a cruel life like treat your your people and treat yourself with kindness and goodness and uh you know uh meaningful um you know positive intent but also like there is some degree to which the John Locke story is also like accept yourself and go easier on yourself. Like some of this is just not your fault. Some of this exactly. was just going to happen. Um, and like, and unfortunately it was due to your own actions that you did in the past. You know, Mr. Echo kind of had it right when he died and the monster didn't like hearing it where he's like, I didn't choose this life. It was given to me and I did the best that I could. Like Mr. Echo has it right in a, in a very <laughs> big way at the very end. And I think that it speaks to sort of like where I imagine Locke never gets to in his life, but that is like if you if you take value from the sideways stuff, you know, one of the valuable things is like I think you get the sense that on the other side of this, he like gets it now, you know, like he exactly. sees it. So let's get into the four point two stars, yeah. Josh. Because so here's the thing: uh, at the beginning of last podcast, you said like, yeah, I kind of put something. Like, nice I think they're about the same. From- yeah, is yeah, what I said. I, I think. Uh, after watching the episode, I will disagree with that statement, and I do believe you will as yeah, well. Now, I, looking I, back, it's a, it's another thing, and I, I say this to Jess Sterling when we do community building. I said this a couple weeks ago on that podcast where we where we're watching Community Me for the first time, her for like the ten thousandth time. Um, that I feel like um, sometimes for me, a conversation really like changes my view of an episode. Uh, and like talking it through like that's almost like reliving the episode and sometimes i'm almost like rating that um so it boosted cabin fever for me for sure from where i was coming in this week as to where i am coming out this week i will say that like i am not i'm i'm putting it at a 3.9 is where i'm landing with cabin fever uh which i think is actually probably lower 
than it ought to be ultimately. But I'm like stacking it against orientation, which I rated a flat four and I prefer mm-hmm. orientation as an episode. So like as like a, as like a point of distinction, I'm giving cabin fever, the three nine uh, versus the four Oh on orientation, just like a, the tiniest of, of lines in the ash as it were. But I think like there are like legitimate reasons as to why I prefer this one to that. Um, I, you know, like give me the stuff with the tailies and a little bit of like that repetition, um, even though they advance the ball much better in orientation than they do in a drift. Give me uh, like that stuff that's a little bit weaker over like the freighter stuff. You know, I'm just I'm just not that big of a fan yeah. of it. I really I I I I've, it's never really clicked with me. It didn't click with me this time. Um, that stuff can be a little bit of a hang up for me. Um, so I'll go with three nine for cabin fever, but that's point four higher than I came into it this week. I really thought that it would be of the same level of um, something nice back home. Um, you know, the economist Gion, which I kind of have as my three fives, but like just, it's a, it's a really thematically rich episode. I think it's a flawed episode in, in some ways that are relatively meaningful. Um, but like it's, it's still a really great episode of the show with a lot of really important stuff. Like this episode and the flashbacks plug a lot of gaps when you like take yeah. them out of sequence and like you plug them into the appropriate sequence, which you know, chronologically lost is literally the project devoted to that. Um, but like when you do that, like mentally and like you kind of like just course correct the stuff in your understanding of the tapestry of the show. I do think that there's a lot in here that's pretty rewarding. Yeah. So I'm glad you compared it to orientation because I'm actually going to give it the same score that I gave orientation, which is a 4.0. And I agree that in just balancing those two episodes, I think this is a sloppier episode than orientation. I do feel like orientation is a more cohesive episode overall, but I almost feel like cabin fever hits higher highs than orientation. So it's an odd, like they're both the same score, but not exactly on the same level. In my opinion, that just, I love chewing over all the stuff in cabin fever. It's like a sweet Apollo bar that Hurley has given to me getting to re-examine John Locke's life. And again, knowing in retrospect, this is going to be like the last proper look at who he is as a person from birth until soon to come death, I think is incredibly valuable to really focus home on like how determinism and deliberation plays into the role he's played in his, uh, his entire life and how the Island has been essentially looking for him the entire time. And, through a series of circumstances, either he's turned away or been attracted due to the pitch that was given to him. The on-island stuff, the first time you see it is game-changing because we're actually, we think that we're talking to Jacob and, you know, Christian Shepard confirms that, like, this is a visage of him on the island. In retrospect, is even richer, knowing that this is the man that is going to take over John Locke's body, speaking to John Locke yeah. is just incredibly powerful. And then even on the freighter stuff, I you know, it, it's hit or miss, but I think that Things have finally moved with the freighter, that things are finally starting to build in terms of tension. Michael's been found out. Kimi is just going absolutely apeshit yeah. on everything. That things were finally picking up here that I, I think it really just, just set up a, a huge fast pace into the finale. So it's like I, I appreciate both these episodes for completely different reasons, but they're still going to end up with an incredibly high score from my perspective, a, a 4.0. Uh, and our listeners were were mostly in agreement with us. Uh, it's going to average a 3.9 overall. The scores at this moment, lowest is a 3.7, all the way up to a 4.2 for 
from, uh, of course, the aforementioned Riley. So, yeah, Cabin Fever is a strong penultimate outing. I'm going to go back to the conversation we had in, in our very first uh, Born to Run podcast, Josh. I still do think Cabin Fever is the second best penultimate episode, only behind Greatest Hits. Yeah, I can see it. I can definitely see it. I mean, I guess technically, decount the first part of, uh, uh, gosh, what is it called next week? There's no place There's like no home. Place do I have to like write home. another song yeah. now? Which oh, is- <laughs> yeah, I was wondering. Uh, no, but I think if you're not, then I think that there's a strong argument for cabin fever for sure. Um, it's a it, it it was a it was a really rewarding episode to revisit for sure and to talk through with you. We got the mini monster out of it. I know. Listen, that's we'll always have the mini monster in cabin <laughs> fever, no matter what. I love the idea of the mini monster. I just I, like it's so stupid. It's so dumb. It's, hey, don't call me stupid. <laughs> you know, know why he has an accent? Yeah, no. I just like he's so dumb. What a dumb idea. There's many of us, many mini monsters. You know, it's just like <laughs> such an incredible idea. Uh, please, uh, April uh, or someone else who's listening, if you could please do a mock up at the time you're listening to this of a mini monster, a mini Titus Welliver sitting on I, John Locke's shoulder. Yeah, That'd be amazing. I would love an illustration of like the lost cast, but with like all of them with like tiny little mini monsters on their shoulders, just like <laughs> some of them like crawling out of their ears, dancing yeah. on their heads. So is that? Do you think that's the reason why Charlie gets so like effed up character wise in season two? Is the mini monster like, hey, you should knock? Yeah, son out. yeah, maybe. Yeah, knock her out. Knock it off. No. Yeah. Uh, so Cabin Fever, top four episode of season four so far. Number four, that'll bump down to five next yeah. week. I mean, listen, top five is nothing to sneeze nope. at, though it is technically like a top half of season four by five, just a pure, by pure designation of number, of number of episodes. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, tiny bit of feedback this week. Uh, Brendan Fitzpatrick says, a man comes to you and says, one of these items belongs to you, a baseball glove, a book, a bottle of sand, a comic book, a knife, and a compass. Which one is it? Which one belongs to you? Com- comic book. Yeah. Our conversations about the X-Men and shrank for any indication <laughs> we are men of comic books. Yeah, I think so. Um, also from Fitzy, how does Locke's life change and the fate of the islands, of uh, the fate of those on the island change if he takes the invite to science camp? Um, it was never going to happen. Yeah, I feel like even if Locke did go to science camp, he'd be totally frustrated by the nerds there that he would, like, high up and leave it, yeah. right? And John Locke is used to nomadic lifestyles. So I think he he would probably also not be good with settling down somewhere. So I feel like it was never going to happen, even if he went there. If he if he didn't go, then Lost is putting forward another idea. Uh, you know, Lost will put forward the idea that uh, you, you can break the cycle. Uh, and I guess, like, Lost eventually does go there to a certain degree, that by the monster getting Ben in position to kill Jacob, that the loop is broken, and now we're in the end game that Jacob has said it only ends once. Um, but this would break the whatever happened happened rule. So it was never going to happen. Um, from Ben, uh, not the Ben behind the curtain, uh, says, what are we to make of Matthew Abaddon's appearance in the hospital? In his three other episodes, he shows up as an agent of Widmore. Here in his first chronological appearance... He seems to represent the island or the others in line with Richard's visits to John. Is it possible he was an other at this point in his journey later to be recruited by Whitmore and used for his bidding? I'd say no. I would say that he's still a Whitmore guy in this moment. And I think that he comes off to me as like the Whitmore consigliere in the way that yeah, though, at, at this moment, Richard is the island's consigliere. Though there could be an interesting argument taken from from Ben's theory here of if Abaddon was some sort of like other turncoat. You know, who knows the island well, though we don't really see him for one reason or another really commune with the island that much. So that it doesn't seem like, you know, there's much evidence there. No, 
Doesn't seem like that at all. All right, let's get into the to the MVP LVPs. Mikey got three MVPs. I've got three LVPs. Why don't you lead us off? All right, I'm going to give my first one uh, for my second episode in a row that he makes an appearance. I'm giving one to the Smoke Monster. Yeah, me too. I'm, I'm going to throw one on him as well. I mean, he succeeds in his goal here. In many ways, he's able to get John to the cabin and convince him to convince Ben, essentially, eventually, to move the island and save his hide. Uh, really good mer- work on the Smoke Monster. And he's able to really get in John's head that the island truly is communing with you. So that later on, you know, he'll send him down this path where he kills him, takes his body, and then tries to enact his master plan. Yeah, all those reasons I co-sign, and also for the mini-monsters. Uh, representation for them. Let's give one to Smokey. Um, I'll give my second of two points I've got this week to John Locke. He's been through a lot. Let's give him a point. Yeah, it's a, it's a pity point. It's a pity it's, point. But it's a, a loving pity point. It's a loving pity point. He's been through a lot. I'm going to give him an MVP. I'm So I have two MVPs points left i'm gonna give one to frank lapidus who i think might become our season four mvp when all is said and done uh you know he does he does some pretty badass stuff here and both initially standing up to kimi his great bro down with michael and then him smartly deciding to to to, you know uh under the radar toss the sat phone so that 815 knows where they're going to i mean frank really helps save their lives very clutch very clutch very much so and I'm going to give my other point to the person that sits shotgun alongside him. I just, I love Kevin Durant's heel turn after everything that happened on the island. And this is a really fun Kimi episode to watch. So despite him, this is the Ethan Rom memorial. He does bad stuff in this episode, but I really love him doing it. I'm going to give Kimi a point here because we're not going to have many more opportunities to do so. We've got three LVPs, so I'll give one to both of the Kimi victims. Dr. Ray, goodbye. Captain Galt. Goodbye. And I believe I already said uh, Horace Goodspeed automatic LVP point. So those are my three. Horace who? Goodspeed. Horace who? All right. Okay. This one's a little bit out of the box. Out of the box. Of out of the coffin. So hopefully, hopefully I do not get as much pushback here as, as I'm about I, to push back. So we'll we'll talk it through. As when I made LVP a heroin and LVP. I was trying to find specific people from the flashback. That I want to give LVP points to, whether it was Emily Locke or Emily Locke's mom or the teacher. So I just decided, Josh, to make an umbrella happen. There's a lot of rain in these flashbacks. So let's pull out an umbrella. I'm giving two LVP points to everyone in John Locke's life. Do, do better than this. You got to do better than this. It's too it's too broad. So what, Hurley gets an, an LVP point? Should I say everyone in the John Locke flashback? I, guess, I guess you could do that. But like, we can't narrow this down. It's right. it's so broad. We got to make some choices here. I think like All right. heroin the is at two, least specific. Two, go- <laughs> you know? two goes to Emily's mom. Fine. May she burn there, in hell there you go. <laughs> with her cigarettes. <laughs> That's fine. I think we we had we you can't, it's too broad. That one's too broad. Uh, it's not like a group like the Gawkers. Like the Gawkers are a group. Like everyone in John Locke's well, they're, life, they're, they're a very uh, shortening group yeah. considering what happened in the shape of things. To everyone come. in John Locke's life is too broad, uh, and it, not everybody. Some people are really kind to him. Richard's kind to him. You know, there's people who are nice to him. Not many. Matthew Abaddon's actually yeah. kind of nice to him. Yeah, so I, and I'd say yeah. You know, the the teacher was not the teacher great sucks. I would have given the teacher an LVP point. No, I mean, listen, the teacher he he gives bad advice. I would have even Emily given Locke like young away, but, young teenage Locke could have gotten but, an LVP point. But Emily's mom is like a terrible person. So, yeah, that's so, fine. So I'm I'm fine giving both my points. Yeah, there. Don't be a mom like Emily. I'm mom, good with people. that. Um, 
All right. Next week, we begin an odyssey. Uh, it is a three-part season finale. Uh, there's no place like home. It extends across three separate hours of Lost, one of which aired in isolation, two of which aired together uh, and aired across the sea of two weeks uh, in between. Um, the last time we did a three-part finale we did it as one podcast it was five hours long we cannot do that again no it's not possible it's it's weird for josh and i to say this but we value our time we can't do it we can't do it i'm sorry i'm sorry we cannot what we'll do we're gonna get two podcasts yes not necessarily for the price of one but what we're gonna be doing we talked about this last podcast is next week we are doing specifically there's no place like home Part one. So yes. when Ben and Locke and Harley arrive at the Orchid Station, that's where we're going to cut things off, just like we did on May 15th. You're not going to wait two weeks until parts two and three. But for all intents and purposes, we're only going to be covering that first hour. It's still going to be a lot of fun. That being said, from a ratings perspective, we are counting it all as one episode, which means you have some extra time now to watch all three parts of There's No Place Like Home, if, if you really want to, and send in your thoughts about the entire episode. We're not going to be reading rating stuff until the very end of parts two and three of There's No Place Like Home. Correct. So uh, next week's podcast, just the first part of There's No Place Like Home. The following podcast will be the remainder of There's No Place Like Home. So the following two hours of There's No Place Like Home. And then we'll do our season four feedback special, which will probably deal with a lot of the ramifications of There's No Place Like Home. Um, so effectively, you're getting like three podcasts about the finale. So what's about to happen? Um, so get that feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. I think we'll most likely we will just push it all to the feedback special at this point, I think is what makes the most sense. We'll get you that first portion. We will do MVPs and LVPs for the first part of the yeah, finale. Why, why not? We had we have. There's plenty of real estate. Uh, you know, it's it's a shorter season, so I think hopefully forgive us that we're expanding things out a bit. We want to marinate some more in season Just four. A tiny I mean, bit. I'm speaking on behalf of myself. Season four has been such a fun run on this podcast it has because it really has like in the recording of it it has felt like sort of the sprint that season four can feel like i've I've had such a good time doing this season yeah so like i'm i'm very excited to to be able to have an extra week to to break stuff down and that hopefully means giving out points to and from some of these other characters that we're not going to have you know the ability to do so so that do so uh so that podcast coming your way oh please don't i'm still (laughs) mourning for next next week uh so get your feedback in uh post show recaps hey did you know we're on patreon sign up if you haven't done so patreon.com slash post show recaps join us one of us be with us hang with us if you do that uh you'll get to hear the ridiculous episode of the wiggle bloom that mike and i have recorded uh which is speaking of of time travel at this point we haven't recorded as we're it, talking about this but right now it will be out by the time this podcast is released so yeah. we're talking about a podcast that we don't know is going to happen yet you have already listened to it and knew what happened so i'm sure it was a good time potentially you listened to it you didn't listen to it if you're not part of the patreon if you want to know what the podcast is i'll tell you right now 
the the second inaugural the second inaugural the second wiggle bloom let's just well every podcast is an inaugural podcast it's a, it's like a roughly monthly podcast not quite right. not exactly we aim for about one once a month it's just like an additional spot where bloom and yeah, i do it's, nonsense it's a busy march uh we do we do bits uh and we also have this other podcast that we do called dungeons and dragons at discord where we play dungeons and dragons um as part of the discord community that we've got on patreon uh for post show recaps we've got a big sprawling dungeons and dragons campaign that we're all a part of or anyone who wants to participate at least is a part of and we're all playing games with each other we're role playing together it's super super fun mike bloom seasoned dungeons and dragons player uh a uh, a, a mikey come lately to the dungeons and dragons world uh you you didn't want to create your own character mike so i got you covered i built a character for mike bloom with some assistance uh, from a friend or two, uh, and Mike Bloom, myself, Antonio Mazzaro, and the great Rich Filiberto, who is uh, the dungeon master every once in a while here on Down the Hatch when we're doing mm-hmm. our very occasional Lost RPG episodes. <laughs> very occasional. The four of us got together on the Wiggle Bloom for a combination episode of the Wiggle Bloom and Dungeons and Dragons and Discord, during which Mike Bloom, at the at the start of the podcast finds out who his character is and then has to play him on the fly. It's uh, so odd because again, we're talking about this that has technically already happened, but I don't know what's don't, to come yeah, yet because at the time we're recording we're this. We're recording this before we do it, but you will have had the opportunity to listen to it. If you are not part of the Patreon, you could go and you could listen to it right now if you sign up uh at that first level, uh just at the at the five dollar base level, you get bonus podcasts like Post Show Recaps Theater, Dungeons and Dragons and Discord, and occasionally the Wiggle Bloom, which this time is also a Dungeons and Dragons and Discord. I expect it's going to be ridiculously fun because uh, yes. I Mike does not know who his character is yet, but I do. I know who Mike is playing. And uh, if you like it when Mike goes full bloom, I think you're going to love this character. Oh, is his name Shrank? <laughs> I'm not telling you what his name is. <laughs> Uh, I would like to preserve that reaction for the podcast. Um, so sign up. Is that not incentive? Patreon.com slash post show recaps uh, and sign up at the discord level. If you want to be talking with Mike, myself, other hatchlings, other people who are like minded TV fans. Uh, if you want to just be part of a really cool community of people who have a great time shooting the breeze about all the things we care about. So that's what's going on. Plenty of podcasts as well. Mike's got the bloom files. Everything is super. You are, you are uh, rocking that on the Falcon and winter soldier front with Kevin Mahadeo and Latanya Starks. I've got the aforementioned community building just uh, the final fantasy podcast as well. We're doing mm. final fantasy eight myself and Brooklyn Zed. It's a choice that we made. I think the podcast is very fun. Uh, so yeah, lots going on. Really, really fun yeah, stuff. You, you play Final Fantasy VIII, so others don't have to. Um, I don't know. It's a hard one to like. Sort of like Jack Shepard as a character, but uh, potentially rewarding. Uh, the jury's still out. We'll see when we get to the end of it. Um, I know it's very much a statue of David, right? Where you just have to like sit and take all those elements from all the yes. enemies to build your stock. That's it. That's it. Uh, so that's what's going on. Plenty of stuff. We'll be back next week with the beginning of our coverage of the season four finale. Four finale of Lost. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye bye. This one goes out to anybody who's been told. You can't be the prom king. You can't be the quarterback. You can't be the superhero. Well, you can't be a Bruce Springsteen parody artist. If 
He was born three months early to a teenage mom named Emily. Now he's got Ben and Hurley. Hoping or his good speed leads the way. He gets stuffed in the lockers. Alfred's pissed when he picked the knife. Hey there, Johnny. Take a look back at your life. Season four's almost over. Move in the air and we'll cause quite a shock. But now we're talking with Christian. Going off to a cabin with Chama. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Jumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Jumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.